get fired up. The State of Combat with Brian Campbell makes its debut. Yes, new name, same performance, enhancing audio. Coming back at you, fired up and ready for the MMA edition. And boy, is this a big week, folks. Not just holiday week. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy New Year to everyone out there. It's UFC 232 week. The return of John Jones. Wow. Gusterson rematch. All kinds of fired up. Thank you so much for joining us. The Brian Campbell. Yes, the voice that you hear. The show's undergone some changes. All three of our shows have in the past week. I am sure you'd noticed, but hey, sometimes you got to rebrand. Sometimes you got to change the culture. It's up to us as a people to start making some changes, and we did that. The state of combat is in. The ITC is out, but it's still your boy, BC. All kinds of revved up, fired up, ready for this. Let's do it. Let's make a splash. It's a new era in MMA. Welcome to the Machida era. Not, not that era, even though good good boy uh, Leota Machida did return. A nice little Bellator comeback in Hawaii. We'll talk about that shortly. Hey, same reminder as always, though. You like what you hear on this program, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume, consume, conserve, consume fine audio. Hey, drop us five stars, right? It's, probably, it's a holiday season, you know. Well, whoop-de-doop, right? Ticker, dickery dock, you know. Drop us five damn stars. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you want to see and hear on the show. Just tell us you are listening. All right, let me welcome in my cohort for this week, CBS Sports MMA writer, editor, big-time college football fan as well. It's a big season for him. Brandon Wise, the wise man. Brother, how is it? I'm very excited, Brian. I'm about to have the Bahamas Bowl on here in a minute for my boys FIU. And then we got John Jones next Saturday. It's a great week. It's a great time to be alive. I always m- mention when you bring up FIU because you love FIU. And I, and I get it. People – see, I kind of missed the college experience, meaning I I commuted two years to a community college, which is like – you know, it's like high school plus, right? It's like it's like, it's like a sad, depressed high school basically. And then I commuted to like, you know, a, a local college and I didn't get the experience. You know what I lost in that wise – I lost a lot of opportunities, and I also lost uh, that feeling of pride and joy in your alma mater. When you commute, you don't care. You just want it to get over with. You got jobs on the side. I'm not living in a dorm room, you know, bang, bang, left, right, good night. For you, though, you live the FIU experience. Now you bleed this color, and I think you might actually be, tell me if I'm wrong, at least the fourth most famous person to come out of FIU, and you're not even that famous. So uh, congratulations there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that just because FIU has a reputation as a commuter school to begin with. Oh, there but you go. I actually did live on campus for all four years. So it was – I really enjoyed my time there. I mean, I met my wife there. I met a lot of friends that I still talk to now. So it was it was one of the most enjoyable four years of my life so far. Oh, nice. I like that. That's, that's quality there. So it's Raja Bell, our CBS Sports colleague, by the way. You can watch yep. and listen to him every morning on uh, Kellen Bennell. No, Benel, uh, Canel, Canel and Bell. Bell. It's Great not show, that complicated. Great show, by the way. The morning show on CBS Sports HQ. You can check out the podcast as well. Suddenly this turned into a Canel and Bell infomercial. But I'm down with Raja, the Kobe stopper, right? 
Maybe he's not the original Kobe stopper. That's my guy Ruben Patterson until he messed around with the maid and got got in trouble in his own household. But Raja Bell, the uh, Kobe stopper 2.0, man, that guy would fight. We should have that guy in the MMA pod. That guy would fight. So it's basically it's you and him. Who else is a famous alum from there? Well, you got T.Y. Hilton in the NFL right now. Right, you also it. got Carlos Arroyo, who played at FIU basketball when uh, oh, Raja was there, I that think. That guy could ball. Remember when he effed around on the Puerto Rican team and, and messed up the USA for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, he his coach in college was, I think, the Puerto Rican national team coach eventually. Um, his name was Shaky Rodriguez, oh, as wow. funny as that is. <laughs> so those two, and then, I mean, Mario Cristobal has the reputation just because he was the FIU coach for so long, and now he's the head coach at Oregon for football. So those are probably our biggest names, so to speak. But people don't really care about FIU football. They care about UCF football, right? That's not true. That's just because UCF's really good right now. Sorry, FIU's sorry. had their moments. I guess we can bring an end to the FIU portion of this podcast now that we're five yeah, minutes can. in. Hey, special guest this week, speaking of the UFC 232, uh, Chad Mendes. Here, here comes the money. He's back in our lives. He's on this show, Wise, and I want you to personally get prepared. We're going to talk a lot about meat, smoking meats, killing meats, a lot, a lot of meat talk. You down with that? Sounds good to me. I'm always down to grill some meat. All right, all right, all right. We'll get into that later. Uh, hey, happy holidays to you. We, uh, just, just a little, uh, transparency. We are recording this in advance of holiday week. So just in case, you know, GSP comes back and signs to fight Conor McGregor over the weekend, we will not have that analysis for you right now, but it will be Christmas week. Uh, I believe that's a holiday you celebrate wise. You fired up. You ready? That is a holiday I celebrate. I'll be heading up to, Kind of your neck of the woods. I'm going to Washington, D.C. on Sunday. I love that. So. Anything above Florida is my neck of the woods. Washington, D.C. No, is, is a far, is far, a far ass drive. All right. It's like six and a half hours. Not my yeah, neck of the woods. It's not that far. And anyway, I'm going up north this, uh, this winter. I haven't been up there for a Christmas before. I'm hoping for snow, even though I know you're not hoping for snow with the amount of bad weather no. you've been dealing with up there. It's but been a yeah, I'm excited. Mild winter, mild winter. I'll take it. Yeah. Right. The last few made me want to made me want to run. Um, all right. Well, I hope every, all of our listeners out there have a great week as well. Uh, UFC loves putting this, these big fights on this um, Christmas to New Year's gap right here, and that's uh, certainly what they're doing. But man, I am fired up as you are, I'm sure, about the return of John Jones, the rematch of uh, you know, really, if we're thinking about it, if we're being honest, probably the greatest title fight in UFC history, the John Jones, Alexander Gustafson part one from Toronto five, some odd five years ago. They're going to run that back. A lot of good stuff to talk about with that. But before we go forward, we must go back. Be wise. We took a week off coming off of a pretty damn loaded weekend of MMA action between what was going on in Milwaukee and what was going on in Hawaii. Now we have listeners, meaning the Formerly the In This Corner podcast, now the State of Combat with Brian Campbell. Across three shows, we have a lot of uh, international listeners. We got some Aussies, by the way. We got uh, a lot. I don't know if we have any from Hawaii, even though it's not international. But you get you get my point here. I don't know if we have any Hawaiian listeners. But um, I want to start right there, Wise. Because Bellator beat UFC to Hawaii, if you will. They didn't do one show in a weird decision. They did two shows, both in the zone, brother. But you want to talk about just making a splash through your TV screen? Have you seen an environment in the States for MMA that can rival what women's flyweight champion Alima Leigh McFarlane had there in Bellator in her couple minutes down the road from her hometown? I mean, it was pretty crazy. The The atmosphere that we saw at 231 a couple of weeks ago for Max Holloway against Brian Ortega was pretty cool. 
But if you could you imagine Max in that environment? Yeah, I why, mean, yeah, UFC. You put fights in the weirdest places sometimes, like Nova <laughs> Scotia, New Brunswick. You can't go to Hawaii. You can't put Connor uh, Max two in the damn Aloha Bowl. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, off the top of my head, I cannot think of another arena that got that kind of excitement from a hometown fighter su- succeeding in the way that she did. Um, yeah, it, it was just unbelievable to watch. And to hear that atmosphere was just almost palpable. Like, it made you jump off the couch at home because it was just so exciting. Yeah, it made her feel, it made her feel like a star in ways that I think combat sports doesn't do enough of, meaning go to the hometown. Especially wise, I think it works better in underserved areas for the major four team pro sports. So you saw in boxing, when Terrence Crawford goes to Omaha, he's like, the Lakers came to town, right? And there's no NBA team. There's no Major League Baseball team. There's nothing in Omaha but college. And Terrence Crawford is a major sport to them. I think the way that the Hawaiian fans embrace MMA and embrace their fighters from BJ Penn through Max Holloway, Yancey Medeiros, you know, Brad Tavares, on and on. I mean, it's a passion out there. You felt that, man. You saw that. We get taste of that sometimes when UFC goes to international places. We don't really always get that hometown feeling. Man, Alima Leigh McFarlane, the flyweight champion who, you know, I've seen fight a few times. She can fight. I didn't see her as a star ever. She felt like a star in this broadcast, and that does something. It penetrates your skull. It makes you want to take notice, makes you want to follow her. This was probably her toughest bout to date, at least on paper, against former UFC title challenger Valerie Letourneau. For, is she also the former uh, fling of uh, your boy Hector Lombard, too? I don't know that. That's something for you to remember, That's not deep me. Dive. That's deep dive research right there. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Deep dive. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe it was deep dive for him, too. I, I Really, I can't... I can't get in on that, but I'll say, you know, we saw Latornu, of course, came up empty against Yuani Young Jacek in Australia in the home Rousey co-main. Uh, she tried her best here, but a third round submission via triangle choke. We can talk all we want about the Hawaiian traditions, the crowd, the experience. Chael Sonnen saying after the broadcast went off the air, wise, that people would not leave the arena, that they were just partying. How impressed were you actually by her performance? The wrestling was pretty top notch you know and i'm still not used to the environment where the women are still allowed to wear the shirts because ufc's kind of gotten gotten away from that so the, well, you, don't want the wrestling... the you want them to stay in the kitchen is that where you're going with this no i'm just saying they haven't been they haven't been allowed to wear those kits a lot in ufc so that aspect was a little bit different because it just gives you more of an advantage when you're grappling you know it gives you something to hold on to and to make your position move so I thought uh, McFarland looked really good in her wrestling. She she tried to box for a minute. She didn't really have the, the power or technique. So as soon as she started going to the grappling and wrestling game, it was seemed like it was pretty much over for Letourneau. Like she got once she got back mount, it was night night. So I like you were saying before, I don't really think of her as a star. And 125 division in general is just so new to everybody that maybe you turn her into something now. Maybe you start pushing her forward and making her a headliner in other places besides Hawaii. I I don't know. Where Thackerville? Is that where you're going with this Thackerville, Oklahoma? Are we going back to the damn Windstar Casino or whatever it's called? I just don't know what pushes product for Bellator anymore. You know, like they did the salute to troops fight the night before with a pretty big name in Michael Chandler fighting in the main event, and you saved her for the the quote unquote premiere night on Saturday night. 
it did really well in Hawaii, obviously. I just don't know how well it did here in the States and how well, because the zone doesn't give out numbers. So you don't know how many people were actually watching that fight. So the thing is, where do you take her now? Like, what's there to do at 125 for her? You know? Yeah, really. I mean, where, where do you if go? If you want to find me, please just send me location. I don't know if there's a location or an opponent that really, I mean, maybe this is just a, hey, let's come back to Hawaii in three months. Maybe that's what it is, but, at the very least, they gave her an identity. That's important. She did beat a credible name, right? Letourneau, 35. Of course, she exited UFC on a three-fight losing skid, but was able to rebuild a bit with two straight wins in Bellator. That's not a deep division in any company, but uh, she's a she's a good fighter. A well, hey. delay. She's, uh, she's a good-looking fighter, and she talks well, and she's got charisma. She's got passion, so let's see what you can do here. We really haven't had a Bellator female fighter that has mattered as of yet. Am I correct in saying that? A female Bellator fighter that's mattered? No. 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 I mean, she's also 9-0. and Like, she's legit good. I just don't know, like, if you put her in the ring against Valentina Shevchenko, like, what are we going to see there, you know? Because I think that McFarland's still pretty raw from that aspect. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's, it's just, it's, we'll see where it goes here. But, uh, this card was pretty damn good, right? This was pretty damn stacked. Unfortunately wise, it came at a tough time. Two Saturdays ago, when you're considering that it was up against Canelo's DAZN debut on the same network. I was there at Madison Square Garden at ringside. And the final UFC on Fox show, which was also on paper very, very good. Yet, did you feel like there were times that Bellator took over the Twitter discussion? Well, they did for your boy uh, Ed Ruth when he was fighting uh, Neiman Gracie. Let's get right into that. I like the crap out of that fight going back to watch it. Holy crap. I mean, that's a, in a way, it's a hardcore fight fan only in the way to play it out with, you know, grappling against wrestling. Uh, of course, it's the first round of the Bellator Wel- Welterweight Grand Prix tournament. And, mm-hmm. uh, but the winner advanced to essentially a title shot. And the, this weird thing they're doing by keeping champion Roy McDonald in the tournament, even though he's coming off a devastating loss to Masasi, the winner of this will face the winner of McDonald versus John Fitch. And this was such a cool matchup because I don't know if a fight like this would have happened without the structure of a tournament, right? Two unbeaten guys, two guys who have shown us a little bit of promise but are more about the future, yet we got to see them collide right now. Ends up going down as a fourth-round submission for Neiman Gracie, but this was like Ed Ruth, the Penn State wrestler, man, he got out of a lot of tough situations and kept grinding and I thought he held the advantage when they did stand up. This was a fun fight, and it meant a lot. And you wanted to see who was going to be the one who gets elevated from it. I almost felt like they both did. You you buy that? Yeah, I can see that. This that to me, when you're talking about the style contrast like that, that sounds so much like UFC one. Just like, hey, this is we're bringing one style into the ring against another style, and we're going to see who can win and who has the better skill at their style to beat the other person. So. I think Ed Ruth, I mean, I know you have a man crush on him and his craziness. Like I, when I shared that video with you of him after the day after Holy losing, crap. he walked a, down flights of stairs on his hands with, with weights on his ankles. I didn't even pick up on that. Holy crap. <laughs> so I mean, this guy's I a think, physical freak and this was only a seventh fight. Like you're shocked that they were, he was willing to make this leap into the tournament on this level. I was, I was down for it. I was big time down for yeah. it. So I think you're right that they both get elevated by this. I just think Ruth's going to have to work on his stamina because that's really what 
what did him in in the end was he just didn't have any gas left when it got to the fourth round, and Gracie was able to pretty much pretty easily lock up that choke to finish off the fight. So I actually like Gracie. It, it would be kind of funny to see a Gracie win another Bellator tournament here. <laughs> I don't know. Do I just mean, find that. What do you mean another one? First time, right? Yeah, whatever. It's another tournament, I should say. Sorry. Although Hoist Gracie did beat Ken Shamrock in their third meeting, and uh, on uh, <laughs> Dada Kim on uh, Dada Kimbo night, we'll never, hashtag never forget. Hashtag, I watched that last night, and I made, was made extremely sad again. <laughs> yeah. What was the stipulation on that fight? First guy's heart to stop loses? Was that what? Official? <laughs> they both stopped in the fight. Oh, God. Wow. It was so, so sad. Um, anyway. Dude, Ed Ruth is such an interesting prospect because he's such a freak. He's an insane wrestler. You hear all the time that in camp, he's out wrestling all these big-time name fighters because he's just such a damn freak. And this was early in his career to get in a spot like this. And because we didn't know who he could be, there were some people ahead of time who were saying he's the sleeper for this tournament. He's the guy that, like, you know, Andre Ward coming in the Boxing Super 6 a few years ago on Showtime where you're like, this guy's really good. We don't know how good. And then he wins the whole thing and becomes a star. That potential was there for Ruth, but you were right. Ultimately, what was exposed was, yeah, he had a lot of fight. Yeah, he could get he could work himself out of situations with that strength, but... He's going to need a lot more wrinkles. Luckily, in MMA, especially compared to boxing, one loss does not derail you. One loss recharges you. It educates you. It refuels you. This is not going to kill him. But I thought, you know, thank you, Bellator, for this tournament. Thank you for a fight like this that was this fun. I love the weird styles breaking down against each other. I was entertained. Could you say the same about the return of 40-year-old Lyoto Machida and his catchweight victory over former middleweight champion Rafael Carvalho? Split decision over three rounds. Machida looked like Machida, but I don't think he looked like prime Machida. Not like I thought he would at 40, long layoff with the suspension, all that. But I guess for 40-year-old in Bellator? This this was okay, right? I just don't want to even talk about this fight. It was so gross. But, like, but it, it was gross because nobody pressed. Right. And the the one time that Carvalho did, Machida literally ran backwards into the cage trying to get away from him. So it there just wasn't much to take away from this. I was more disappointed with Carvalho and how he's fallen off since he lost the belt because Carvalho was such a dominant fighter, but – He's lost, what, two of three now, or he's lost three straight? I don't even remember anymore. But he was so good, and now he's just another guy. Like, I don't know what happened there. If he just hit a wall or well, this what? this is a second straight loss, and, you know, one of them was for the title against Musasi. Yeah, granted, he got he got his ass kicked. In one yeah, round. Musasi dominated him. And then, uh, you know, this loss is, is, is disheartening, but I don't know if that means he's done. I mean, he had run off a winning streak of uh, 15 in a row before that. He's one of those weird, weird guys who loses his pro debut – Runs off 15 in a row, wins a championship, and now you're, you're certainly questioning where he is, but I don't think he's done. I mean, he's, but it, every time that these old UFC guys come in, they just take his lunch. <laughs> so I, I just don't know what, like, where, he's a, a middle of the pack middleweight now, which, great. Middleweight is such a boring division to begin with. Like, he's just there. He's just another body holding up Who's a roster just there? spot. Machida? No, I'm saying Carvalho. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, look, he lost the fight. He didn't press. Machida, in some ways, was disappointing because he did just enough to get by. But I felt like in his Bellator debut here, he was more about moving the chains. He's an interesting prospect still with the name value, with the fact that he's still in great shape and can fight. I mean, he doesn't have the same 
quick twitch fibers and the same speed as back in the day. And we know, of course, he missed two years for a drug suspension in the middle of that. Did bounce back, though, with, with a couple wins before leaving UFC. That front kick to Vitor Belfort may end up being the knockout of the year. We'll have to tally all of our votes and find out, Wise. But still got it to a degree. Overall, not fully impressed. Am excited about what we can do with him under the Bellator banner. You got any fight ideas for a guy who can fight at middleweight, can fight at light heavyweight? Bellator does have old names. That's why we tune in. That's why it's the retirement home. If you will, Bellator is the Florida of MMA, correct? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I, I hate when people call that about my state, but yeah. Fine. Like, hey, hey, Rashad, answer Scott Coker's phone. Let's do uh I, I just wanted to point out the fact that you just called a 40-year-old man a prospect, by the way. <laughs> I didn't. No, I didn't mean he. I, I mean, there's a prospect for fun fights. Okay, I didn't mean that he's a piece of damn. Product. Well, so here's the fun fight for you that I think you and some of our listeners from the past would like. How about King Mo, who says he's going down to middleweight? I've been telling King Mo since day one ish. Hey, Scott Coker, sign Machida, and then when you do. King Mo and Machida, I think that fight makes a lot of sense, or it made a lot of sense coming in. Unfortunately for our brethren, King Mo, another loss, another knockout loss. Third round TKO against Liam McGarry, the former uh, light heavyweight champion under the Bellator banner. This was a, uh, I thought King Mo looked good. He had a strategy, had a lot of kicks, was boxing well, and then he just got clocked. He got his clock cleaned with a left hand, wise. And uh, tough to see considering how disappointing that loss to Ryan Bader was in the heavyweight Grand Prix. We knew by listening to this show how prime and ready he was injury-free, and then he got knocked out with the first punch that hit him, essentially. This was a tough loss, but now that he's putting his money weight dreams behind him and he's making a you know, somewhat desperate move, but you got to do that late in your career to go down to middleweight, I'm here for King Momachita. You? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, just <laughs> that. I think that's your wash Super Bowl, right? In a lot of ways, that's fun. But look, that's what Bellator is all about. That's the type of fights we should be seeing. Yeah, or they go and sign uh, somebody who's making waves today or earlier this week, saying that he's coming out of retirement. Vitor Belfort. Dude, I'd be here for that. Uh, we talking Mohawk Vitor, or are we talking regular <laughs> old Vitor? He's got to go get the Mohawk if he's coming down to Bellator, well, right? The, you can't just go to the barbershop and get the Mohawk. It comes with something. It comes with injections. It comes with uh, <laughs> pills and cre- creams and clears. If we're getting Mohawk Vitor back, then we're getting insanely ripped Sly Stallone ahead of another Rambo remake Vitor, right? Like, that's what, what we're if, getting. What if he dies at Blonde? Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, Vitor against either of the. I mean, look, I've been saying that as well for Vitor. He's going to end up here. He should end up here. The news is that he announced he's coming back. That was a very, very short-lived retirement. No surprise to any of us since, guess what, Wise? Vitor's been saying for years, UFC should open a senior division. Some promotion should open up a league that has different rules for old fighters who want to keep going. Hey, Vitor, they already have that league. It's called Bellator MMA in the zone. Call up Coker right now. What are we missing here? You know this guy's going to fight forever. You know that, Wise. Yep. How about uh, Alexander Shlomenko? Uh, against Vitor? Against Vitor or Lioto or King Mo. Well, here's the question I want to know with, with, with what, what you do with uh, Lioto Machida here. All right, 40 still in great shape. Seems like he wants to fight for a while. Do you make the mistake potentially of putting him into the title picture because he's a great B-side for anybody – that you either want to give you know the rub to or or to make just fun televised fights, 
or do you go the legend route? Because let's not forget, the cool thing right now is that Machida owns a victory over current Bellator middleweight champion Gegard Mousasi, and he also owns a victory over current Bellator light heavyweight champion Ryan Bader, who could end up being the heavyweight champion as well. Where are you going next if you're Scotty Cox? Oh, man. When was that Musasi fight? That had to be, what, five years ago, six years ago at this point? So damn long ago. Uh, or the or the Bader fight, for that matter. I mean, Leona's been doing this for so long that it just feels like those big-name fights that he's had were just 2011, 2010, right? Isn't that when he beat um, when he beat Rashad for the title? 2010? Yeah, man, that was a long-ass time ago. He beat Rashad in 2009. The Machida oh. era lasted one night. It's May 23rd, 2009. And then he comes out against Shogun in that first fight and just, you know, laid an egg. He got he got a decision he didn't deserve, of course, but he pretty much laid an egg. Yeah. Um, all right, just to give you a little bit of history here on that, uh, Machida wins the title from Evans in 2009. He fights Musasi in 2014 in Brazil and wins a decision in the fight of the night. And the Bader fight came in between that. August 2012, in L.A., he knocked Bader out in the second round on the Shogun Brandon Vera undercard. UFC on Fox. There you go, Wise. All right, a little, little bit of history for you. Man. Uh, just give him the legends, man. I, I don't I don't think you want a, a six-year-old or a, a four-year-old rivalry renewed for a Bellator title. Like, that's not going to push product, man. It can't. It can't push as much product as him fighting against quote unquote legends. Like, what if what what about Royce Gracie? What about him? He's still listed on the Bellator roster. Stop it! Stop he needs it, a fight. Stop it! It's Hoist. Stop <laughs> it! Um, I'm going to tell you the names that Machida has defeated in his career. Are you ready for this? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Stephen Bonner, Rich Franklin, B.J. Penn, my boy Raymu Thierry Sokaju, <laughs> Tito Ortiz, Tiago Silva. Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua, Randy Couture, Ryan Bader, Dan Henderson, Gegard Mousasi, Vitor Belfort. Bro, it's a pretty damn good career. Yeah. And he's and, a former UFC champion. And the losses were against who? Shogun, Rampage, in a fight that he didn't lose, let's be honest. Uh John Jones, which he died. I swear he died in the cage that night. <laughs> uh Phil Davis. Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold, Yoel Romero, and Derek Brunson. I had forgot about all of those middleweight fights where he just got run out of the division from yeah. UFC, basically. Yeah, you're right. But and now we're talking about him maybe running at a title in Bellator. I mean, good lord. These, some of these guys linger, man. I mean, look, it, it, I'm not saying any of these guys are on drugs. I am saying Vitor Belfort was on drugs when he had the Mohawk. I am saying that. What I'm saying is maybe it's the drugs. I don't know. But these guys, like the fact that we're still talking about Vitor Belfort and he's one of the rare guys who came from the I wore shoes in the UFC era, that's insane to me. He's only 41, so obviously we know he started as as a young teenage phenom. But the fact that he's still fighting, he fought this calendar year in the UFC despite the fact that he made his pro debut Back in, I don't know, what year are we talking about here? Was it like, 98? Makes I think it was 98. Makes his pro debut in 96. 96. <laughs> I mean, that's just insane. I was in high school in 96. Like, that's insane. And I'm old. But <laughs> you're younger than Vitor. But 
Look, Bellator is a nice retirement community. Let's make fun fights. Machida, really good sneaky career-wise. One of these days you're going to wake up and realize how great this guy is. Whatever you say, buddy. All right. Hey, uh, anything we learned from Bellator's Friday night card, which was Bellator 212? Uh, they did a nice thing for the troops. It didn't have the crowd, though, that the next night did. But uh, Michael Chandler regains the Bellator lightweight title for the third time, defeating Brent Primus, five-round, unanimous decision, 50-45 on all three cards. Um, this wasn't the Brent Primus I thought. No, I mean, to me, the biggest takeaway here was that Michael Chandler proved to everybody that that injury is why he lost that first fight against Primus. That if he didn't, what, was it his ankle or his knee? I don't remember. It was his ankle, and it, his, his, he, he, he dislocated his ankle, on. right? His ankle just fell off, and he kept trying to fight. <laughs> yeah, he dislocates his ankle in the first fight, and he just couldn't move anymore. And Primus was able to finish it pretty easily. But he proved, like, hey, when I'm healthy, you are not competition to me. So He's it's nasty. good to have Michael Chandler as a champion again, even though nobody really cares that he is. He's the, still the face of the company. He's still the heart and the soul of the company, in my opinion. He's only 32, yep. dude. I know he's been in wars, but his ability to reinvent himself is amazing. I mean, let's not forget when he lost to Eddie in, what, their second or 17th fight and then dropped two in a row to Will Brooks in 2014, I kind of thought, like, he was wash, maybe potentially washy then, and that – He's still only 32. He's still fighting. He says who he wants next, Brandon-wise, Habib Nurmagomedov. I'm not sure he understands how how this game works. <laughs> I mean, maybe he knows that his contract is up with Bellator? Didn't he just resign? Did he? I thought he did. When, like earlier in the year? I mean, I don't remember that. But that would be the only way that's going to happen because <laughs> Scott Coker is not going to be able to pay Khabib. He resigned in August. An exclusive multi-fight contract. So, I mean, to be fair, though, if Khabib is still serious about this whole, hey, you pay me or I'm leaving, maybe Khabib stop comes it, to Bellator. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. All right. Um, so, look, good to see Chandler back on top. Um, I was really hoping Eddie was going to Bellator Eddie Alvarez and not one because it would have been nice to see them uh, tangle again. Uh, this co-main event was kind of sad, bro. I'm not ready for the Frank Mir to, era to be over, but it needs to be over because Javi Alaya kicked his ass, dude. Not only was it a second round TKO, it was TKO submission via punches. And as BJ Penn famously once told GSP, do you remember that? You remember that what he once said? Only a bitch taps on strikes. I didn't say that, Frank, okay? BJ Penn said that. And by the way, BJ Penn said that one week before. Kind of quitting due to strikes, but that's not just, that's me talking now, alright? <laughs> so here's what I'm saying against GSP in the rematch, by the way. Uh, tough to see for Frank Mir. Double tough to see that the fact that his daughter, an aspiring, uh, judoka, jujitsuer herself, fighter herself, was working his corner. You know, in the buildup we had seen in his public workout, he was rolling on the, on the canvas with her. It was a nice father-daughter bonding moment. Hey, most people, you know, most fathers and daughters, that's what they do. They roll, right? That's how you, that's, that's the natural bond and connection. No, it's not. That's weird. Anyway, um, she worked his corner and he got his ass kicked and he submitted and then he came back to her. It was a little weird. Wise. Yeah. Uh, by the way, for you to say that you're ready for the Frank Mirror era to be over now, <laughs> I think you're about three years behind on that, buddy. Well, I'm very far behind, but I've always loved Frank Mirror. I've always felt like if he would have taken his conditioning more serious in the second half of his career, even though he's quote-unquote an all-time great heavyweight because he's held the UFC title twice, and he, you know, he was a, in a lot of ways he was an early heavyweight pioneer for skills, right, for jiu-jitsu, 
I feel like the second half of his career is a, is was a lost. Um, th- there was he left a lot on the table. That's my personal opinion. So I always was waiting for another reinvention. There's no reinvention, dude. If you really look at it, he's not only now lost four in a row, he has lost seven of his last nine. Eight no, of ten. My, my math is off. He's lost eight of his last ten. <laughs> Man, dude. It's yes, bad. Yes, all those names for the most part are big names, but Javi Ayala's not. And let me just remind you, Frank Mir, you lost to Andre Arlovsky, bro. This decade. Like, like this decade you lost to Andre Arlovsky. <laughs> It, man, I can't just – this is just such a sad thing to look at right now. Like just going through his fights is just – ugh. there's just a lot of – he beat Todd He beat Todd Duffy, and I thought Todd Duffy was going to be something. So no, no. that's kind of surprising. But, geez, Louise, two and eight in like the last six years is awful. He's got but you're still getting – he's still getting paid. <laughs> like, but the thing is every time he loses, he gets stopped. Every time. Yeah. What has he lost? One decision in his life to or to, to DC? Oh, also to Arlovsky, which is still a, a joke. But uh, he lost the decision to Overeem too. I mean, he's gotten stopped a lot. Yeah, it's time to go. It ended up being bad to see his daughter in the corner for the damage he took. But hey, look, you come to Florida, you come to Bellator, right? And and you, it's going to end eventually. And it, and it felt like it ended sad. I hope he doesn't fight on. I know he's got what a part ownership stake in that Russian federation that he's um. That he's like part yeah. management, part wants to fight in there. Whatever. Well, you had you said you really enjoyed him on the Golden Boy MMA broadcast, right? He's a great broadcaster, I think. So I've always think, thought just that. Just stop taking brain damage and just go call the fights like Randy Couture, man. Huh? Hey, I'd see him fight Randy Couture right now, but that's just me. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's hey. pretty much the Bellator card. Something, nothing else came out of those other ones. You down with anything else in there? No, not really. All right. Look, the main event on Saturday, on paper at least, was that UFC on Fox in Milwaukee. The final U.S. Wise, this deal that started in 2011, we've already had the last FS1 card. This was the final UFC on Fox card. I thought on paper it was better than what we'd seen of late from the UFC on Fox franchise, which of course began November 2011 with JDS knocking out Cain Velasquez in what, like 40 seconds? On national television there. I think <laughs> yeah, about but... halfway through, the matchmaking started to change. There were peaks and valleys. This wasn't the series it original wa- originally was, but at its peak, this was a poor man's pay-per-view on free TV, and it started at 8 p.m. Eastern and was tidy and was in and out. This was the final thing. You got any thoughts on what the legacy, the history of UFC on Fox was, what it did for the sport, anything? I mean, it really... It... It helped bring it to the mainstream, obviously. Like, that was the biggest part for Dana to get this contract done was that he wanted to be the NFL or MLB. He wanted to compete with those guys. And for the most part, he didn't, but he did get more eyeballs to it by getting it on Major Fox, you know? And it helped grow a lot of those fighters into stars from that. I mean, Junior Dos Santos, when he knocks out Kane in the first one ever, he became a, almost a household name all of a sudden because he beat the guy that everybody expected to just run through the division and be the greatest heavyweight of all time. So it gave guys a big platform, but I really think that the new ESPN deal is going to give them even more of a platform when they're fighting on major ESPN and not on ESPN Plus every weekend, you know. Oh, not, not, not only that, but I think the ability to take over the airwaves at ESPN, and look, it's not like this is new. ESPN has been having UFC fighters on SportsCenter, and it's not like, you know, it's not like a decade ago where it was impossible for that to happen. But 
now that the UFC, now that ESPN has, you know, financial reasons to do this, I feel like you can really take over the airwaves. In Sports Center, you can have a daily UFC segment, right? Like you're gonna, you're gonna see it all over the place. That's gonna be huge. But I think you sort of nailed what UFC on Fox could have been, what they hoped it had been. I think obviously they hoped it was going to be a big four major. They hoped that that was going to lap it past NHL and NASCAR and be on par with a Major League Baseball and NBA, etc. It never got there wise. But I think I think partially because there's a limit on what a combat sport, especially one as visually brutal as MMA. I know everyone's going to say, well, it's not as brutal as boxing. The, the sustained brain damage, yes. But sustained brain damage happens inside your head. UFC with the blood and somebody sitting on someone's face and elbowing them happens right outside of your head in front of your face. So it's a little bit more uh, jarring for people, even in 2011, even in 2018. But with that said, I think they use that platform effectively in watering down the general appalling of the sport like the like the like your neighbor whoever your neighbor is right that doesn't watch MMA I think in 2011 he still thought of it as no rules cage fighting like I was talking to my dad my dad knows I cover combat sports and has been obviously I think I was talking to him three years ago at Christmas and he's like hey what's going on in that uh, cage fight and UFC thing you still watch that I'm like yeah dad it's like my job and I, I love it and he's like all right they they still have no rules right you still can, you can still like poke people in the eye and kick them in the balls right and I'm like no and he's like, they still do like the small guys against the really fat guys. And I'm like, no, no, not at all, dad. It's like a real sport now. So what I'm saying is my dad's washed. But also what I'm saying is um, I think that deal did a- accomplish some of that. I think it made it mainstream, not not full on in your living room every day mainstream, but getting it on Fox, getting it on a big network. I think it softened. I think it, it had a larger impact on them signing that monster deal with WMEIMG two years ago than any other moment in UFC history. I think you had to get it on Fox five years before that deal can happen and have sustained success. But look, maybe maybe you're telling me I'm wrong, Wise. I don't think it can ever be an NFL because it's freaking cage fighting. Yeah, that's the thing. is you, It's just not going to appeal to the masses in the same way that all of these other sports are able to, at least now. But, you know, the it helps to get the wives, you know, like on a Saturday night to come and sit with you. Hey, what are you watching tonight? Oh, these guys are fighting or, oh, these women are fighting. Like it, it helped get my wife interested to see what I was watching every, yeah, you know, and she doesn't watch every weekend, but if I have it on and I'm, and I'm working at home, she's interested. She'll watch it with me. She, she does. She, every time that there's blood on the screen, she runs away, but (laughs) she, she sits there and she's interested in it. So it, it helped a little bit, but it's like you said, it's just never going to have that just broad appeal to all ma- all fans, you know? She's at the Royal Rumble, dude. All right, all right, get, get with it, Derek Lewis. No, I think you're right. So this final card, great fight on paper. Turned out to be a pretty damn great fight in the cage. Tell me if I'm wrong. This rematch, Al Iaquinta. Al Iaquinta. Where are we going with that pronunciation? It's all over the place. I feel like they've in the last year, people are committing to Iaquinta as the official pronunciation. You down with that? Yeah, that well, that's how the 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 good old Long Islanders chanted in the crowd. So, all right, all right. against Kevin Lee, we know Raging Al had won a decision like four years ago in the early stages of Kevin Lee's career. I thought coming in, Kevin Lee had evolved. I thought coming in, I was still under the wrong impression. Wise, and you know what that impression was? 
that I Al Aquinta Al I Al Aquinta ends. <laughs> Raging Al the realtor was an average UFC fighter. Dude, I was wrong. And I think now we have to really go back and retrace history. Al Iaquinta's performance in April against Habib Nurmagomedov tricked a lot of us, me not only included, me on the front lines to believing Habib Nurmagomedov may not have been Habib, the, the damn monster, the damn eagle, who he was in the cage months later against Conor McGregor. Isn't it interesting how one event can make you go back and redo history over again. Al survives five rounds against Habib in April on what? An hour notice to take that fight? Not only did he not tap out, not only did he not get knocked out, not only did he get up when he was taken down, he was landing bigger shots in the late rounds to the point that when we're handicapping Connor and Habib, which was the biggest fight in UFC history, on paper I thought it was arguably the best fight ever in terms of matchup styles, fit, you know, 50-50 fight, guys in their prime. A lot of that analysis was due to the recency bias of Habib looking strong, dominant, yet not superhero-ish against Al. So then I take that piece of information. I'm wrong on the Connor fight. And I'm wrong on this Kevin Lee rematch because Al, welcome to the club. And you know what club that is, Wise? The club of the best damn division in all of mixed martial arts, 155 male, and the exclusive club of guys that could be a champion in any other era because this is this is a killer these guys are killers we have habib tony connor uh kevin lee nate diaz um who am i missing i mean the list goes on and on uh gage poirier we had eddie alvarez now we've got Raging Al as a guy that we need to take serious, a guy that could win the title. I did not see this coming. Were you woken? I mean, so when we were talking about this last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, the overall consensus was that Kevin Lee was going to come in, kind of walk around, but he was going to dominate, right? Like the idea coming in was that, hey, he's developed his skills so much, he's going to be able to walk through Al and then pick up his next title shot or number one contender fight, whatever. He brought that into the ring because he didn't seem to have any damn strategy going into that fight. He just thought, oh, I'll be able to stand and jab, stand and trade, blah, 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 blah. Eventually I will fall and I'll move on. No, he had no, he had zero strategy. All he had to do at any point in the fight, shoot for a takedown, get his dominant position, and then grind, ground, ground in pound on Al. He never did that. Al kept him on his feet and props to him, man, because he's developed a, a, a stand, a boxing game that I didn't think he could make. And he's made leaps with his stand-up game to the point where it's like, Hey, those punches are hurting. Like Kevin Lee's face the next day after this fight was a mess. He's not the same fighter wise. He's a whole new fighter. And you know they say, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder? In combat sports, especially because we have a, a small sample, guys only fight two times a year, three times if we're lucky, absence makes the heart forget. And it makes us think, coming in, Al's more of a, re a real estate agent than he is a fighter. And if he is a fighter, he's this angry dude that always gets mad at Dana. And he's a pretty average guy. You look at his career, yeah, he's beaten guys like Lozon, Masvidal, Diego Sanchez. 
But I thought that's where it tops off. I thought when he steps up to the higher level, he's going to get found. And guess what? Even though he owned a victory over Kevin Lee back in the uh, Obama administration, basically that was such early Kevin Lee. We've seen this guy evolve to the point where people are saying that's the guy who will beat Habib. If somebody will, it'll be Kevin Lee. That's the guy who could be the face of the 165 division that may or may not be coming. It's Kevin Lee. The guy who fought through a damn staph infection to take on Tony Ferguson and didn't do all right. Raging Al has major league skills. It's not just toughness. You know what I'm saying? That's what I, th- I think that's what I thought coming in. What's his ceiling? Well, he's really tough. He might hang around. No. He's got speed. He's got craft. What happened? When did this happen? What did I miss? I know we mislabeled ultimately his performance against Habib, and that's a big part of this, this, this feeling like a surprise. But he hadn't fought between 2015 and 2017. What's going on here? I think that layoff probably just did him such great, such wonders because that gave him time to get back in the gym with your boy Matt Sarah and Ray Longo and just work on his skill and refine his craft to the point where, hey, these other guys that Ray Longo and them have worked with, they become champions. They're not pushovers. Like, those are hard-fighting dudes. And now Al is starting to develop. He finally figured something out in the gym where he were, was able to, to find a jab that he can sit behind and, and, and deliver hard strikes with. And he's just, I don't know. It's, it's surprising, as surprising to me as it is to you because Kevin Lee was not supposed to lose that fight. Like, that was supposed to be a setup fight, get him his redemption, and then get him back into that title picture. But now, we got Ally Quinta in the title picture. Because even though he took that fight on one day's notice against Khabib, you can make an argument that he's he's just as deserving now. And by the he's way, for as much as we t- <laughs> for as much as we talk about how the heavyweight division had that curse on it for having only champions defend once or twice before losing it. Heavy, the lightweight division, outside of Benson Henderson and Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn, the rest of those champions since 2013 have only invented their, their belt one time or lost it in their next fight. So lightweight has become that pool of sharks where you get one shot. You win that belt, and then, all right, it's the next guy's turn. What would you do if you only had one shot? Yeah, Mom Spaghetti, I'm with you on that. And it's just it's crazy to see Al make these leaps. Now he's afterwards saying – I'm the right guy for Connor. You know, I'm the right guy. You know, I, I, and when you look at their performances months apart against Habib, dude, I still don't know how he did it. He was a problem for Habib. Yes, he probably lost four rounds to one, but he, he lingered. He kind of made Habib have to work late with the cardio. He, he never like, and again, he's fighting Paul Felder. Like we, we thought he was this average guy. I don't know if this was just the performance of his life. Or I don't know if something clicked and he has made a major leap. But let's welcome him to the group of now really fun fights you can make. They'll never do a tournament. They probably should. There's so much damn talent at this division. I wish they would organize it a little bit more so there's a little bit more rhyme and reason in terms of who faces who. But you're not going to do it next against Connor because that's that's a trap fight. It's a trap fight for Connor and it and it's not that sexy for the for the mainstream. Even though Connor against anybody next could and would and will main event a pay-per-view obviously you should do it against somebody more like cowboy aldo 
Heck, Jeremy Stevens. Who the who, who the who the fuck is that guy, right? I mean, come on, like that would be. I know Stevens has a fight, but I'm saying you, we don't do soft touches in MMA. Connor actually needs a soft touch to regain his confidence. But if you did do Al against Connor in New York, I mean, the numbers for that have to be out out the roof, right? Because Al's got all the fan base up there. Well, maybe maybe the numbers of the arena ticket sales, but I don't know if that that equates a strong look. Again, Connor against anyone is a is a strong pay per view, but I think Al gives you the least amount of crossover pay per view buys than any other name. Break out the red panties, we're rich, baby. That's that's all I'm saying right there. But well, uh, I mean, Tony's not going to give you the crossover. I don't think yet. No, he's getting there. He's getting there. He's getting there. I think he needs another fight though. He just had the fight of the year against Anthony Pettis, just to remind you that. <laughs> it was not the fight of the year. So good. I was there, man. I lived it. I felt it. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was, it was really, 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 really good. Ghetto man, and he fights in a ghetto way. He really does. He really does. It was so good. All right. Uh, Kevin Lee's going to have to bounce back from this. Al's got big business ahead of him. This lightweight co-main event. Not if the, it's like there's not enough lightweights right now. There's so many damn good lightweights. Edson Barbosa's back in business. Still dangerous. If you stand in front of him, he will kick your ass wise. Dan Hooker, up and coming prospect, New Zealand, boys with Adesanya. He took a beating, bro. I know the narrative coming out of this is why did that man have to take that much of a beating? Why, when are we going to throw in the towel? Blah, blah, blah. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Edson, he'll lose to the best, but he'll reinvent. He's still here. I was just worried for Nan Hooker in this fight because he turned into a literal punching bag. Like, it, it got to the point where every time Edson kicked him in the stomach, I'm like, okay, that's another rib broken. That's another rib broken. It was brutal, <laughs> it was like, brutal dude. Uh, but was, yes, Edson Barbosa looked phenomenal. Like, he's, he didn't change anything though. That's the thing. Like he didn't change his style. He didn't change his game plan. He's it was all still there. It was hey, I'm gonna kick you in the side or kick you in the head as many times until you need to fall before I win the fight. So I think it was good to see him get a. It wasn't even a soft fight because Dan Hooker, like you said, was coming in pretty hot. But he got the matchup that he needed to put his style out there for people to be like, hey, Edson can still fight. You know. He wasn't fighting a wrestler this time. He wasn't fighting a grappler. He was fighting somebody who wants to stand there and trade. So that was really good to see. But Dan Hooker, man, I hope he does, I hope he takes some time off to get actually healed. He doesn't like try to bounce back way too fast because there's no way that he didn't break anything in his in his organs or in his rib cage. Like that was scary to watch. It was for such a, a young guy on the rise, and I don't necessarily mean young by age. I mean he's 28, but I mean more like on the rise, a guy who had started to put some fights together, starting to seem to make that turn that we could see another contender. Blown away the Jim Miller level guys that you're supposed to, but like looked fantastic doing it. Uh, this third round stoppage probably should have ended after two. I mean, I didn't think he was even intelligently defending himself to the level where it should have kept going. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. It's, I, I hope in combat sports we get to the point where there's no such thing as a moral victory. And I think we see that more in boxing, especially in like the Mexican community where guys just like, no matter what, want to go the distance to say they did. They didn't get stopped. You know, it's that whole thing. I never got knocked down. I never got stopped. In MMA, it's, it can be tough because it's, 
I think in MMA, it's, you, you see more often these miraculous victories because there's more ways to win a fight, you know, where you're losing every second, but you come back, and, you know. And, I mean, look, if we stopped every fight the moment it looked like the other guy couldn't win, which was essentially what Chael Sonnen, by the way, he had, he had a good defense on this. He's like, we got we have to get to the point where corner men, the second they realize their fighter can't win, the fight should be over. I don't fully agree with that because, you know, your boy, the damaged Darren Elkins, that, that redneck warrior, he wouldn't have a career if that was the case. So... I just think that you need to look at how important is this fight. Brian Ortega took a hellacious beating against Max. But just a round before that, he was landing the type of shots that looked like they were rattling Max. Where even though he's losing, you're like, is he one punch away from being in this? This is also an unbeaten guy in his first title fight. So it's sort of like in pro wrestling wise, which you hate, by the way. Man, you hate pro wrestling. Uh They say that. The intelligent guys nowadays know that there's a finite number of bumps that their lower back, you know, can take. So, hey, if we're doing a uh, house show in Topeka, maybe don't do the suplex onto the floor, right? Maybe save that bump. I think obviously in MMA, when you're talking about accumulated damage, it's the same thing. Everybody's different. Some guys get washed early. Some guys are just, I don't know what they're made of. But this wasn't a title fight. Yeah, that was, it was an important fight to find out if hookers for real. But this is one that, that I think is the kind of fight that should and needs to get stopped moving forward. I, I don't think you can sanitize the sport completely. And look, Adonis Stevenson, the boxer, the former light heavyweight champion, still in a coma in a fight that wasn't overly brutal. It just 41 years old, maybe too many. I don't know. It's going to happen, wise, because we're punching each other in the skulls, right? And kicking each other in the skulls. So bad things are going to happen. But I think there's a middle area of saying, all right, Let's stop this. Yeah, I mean, that, and I don't know why it is in boxing, it's a little bit more common to have stoppages because it's just like your corner should have that wherewithal to be like, hey, we don't got it tonight. You know, we, we just, I, I don't have the game plan to help you get past whatever he's being able to do. You know, I, it, it's so tough for guys to admit defeat, right? Like, I think that's the bigger thing is is in your head you always think he's kicking my ass, but I got this. I got this. I got the one punch that's going to figure this out. And a cornerman, his job, like the reason you have him on the payroll is one to help get you calm down in between rounds and help you with strategy. If his strategy is not working, what are you doing here? You know? So like, yeah, I agree fully on that. Like, in 2019, I'm hoping to see more more cornermen take active roles like that. Like, hell, you could have stopped that Connor fight against Khabib. Like, John Kavanaugh could have at any point said, "Hey, Connor, we're we're done here. Like, I got nothing." It's harder in a title fight, though, and I think it's harder for the fighter. I think it's harder for fans too. And I know there's an argument to be made wise about like the pay structure encourages this because half of your money you can double if you win, right? The win and show thing. Um, the problem is if you get rid of the win and show thing, I think you're going to see less exciting fights. And that's the whole point why Dana White always had this bonus structure to inspire people to just go kill themselves. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Uh, maybe it is the pay structure, but I've also seen my fair share of, of boxing matches where a guy just realizes, hey, I'm already getting paid. I don't have it. I'm done. I don't know. Well, that's, but that's the other thing is that in boxing, I think, I think I answered my own question there that 
boxing the pay structure is so much better. I mean, those guys are probably making $300,000 for a fight, whereas so the, the UFC level, guys... Yeah, at the higher level, it's way better for sure. Yeah, but the UFC guy, you're making twenty five. You might double that if you win or if you get the if you get your um, fight bonus. So it's it's tough. And hopefully with the new contract with ESPN, something happens to fix this. But I just don't see it happening. It's tough. Every time we're talking about the damage and the brutality and fight when to stop a fight. And this comes up in boxing a lot because there's referees nowadays who when a guy gets knocked down, if it looks brutal, they'll just wave it off without the 10 count. And you're sort of like, no, that's what boxing is. Give the guy 10 seconds to find a way to gain his balance. And then you're like, well, how is that good that you're sending a guy who's obviously concussed right back out there to get it? But there is at some point of where you have to go, we can't clean this up too much because then it's not what it is, right? Yeah. You know, it, well, that's the thing with the with the Wilder Fury fight. You could have made an argument that Deont- that Deontay Wilder knocked out Tyson Fury. Like he was flat on his back for five seconds. It did not look like he was even moving, but the ref still gave him his ten count. That's a great point. If a lot of refs would have waved that off, and then you don't right. you don't get the comeback. It's 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 tough, man. It's a da- this is a scary, dangerous ass sport, but. That's honestly a big part of what why we love it. These guys are living on the edge. They're putting their lives on the line. Sports can seem so meaningless sometimes. Even the sports we love, right? Like I love the NBA, man. But there's times where I'm just sort of like, does this really matter? You know, it's just it's just it's just a regular season game. There's like another 81 of them. You know, certainly in baseball, it can be like, man, who cares if they blew the save tonight? There's only about 135 of those left for the rest of the year. Um, there's something about the 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 life or death of a fight, not just what it means to their career financially, but the damn death that it's sad to say out loud, but that's part of what draws us. It's, it's real, dude. It matters. It's a damn fight. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the, it, it's not the bloodthirst that draws us in. It's just like, Hey, this is almost life or death, you know, like you said. So, Hey, uh, anything else from this Milwaukee card? We saw Rob Font. The Bantamweight get a uh, a clean and clear decision over Sergio Pettis, who moved up in weight. Man, rough turn for the Pettises, especially in their hometown here. Yeah, it wasn't great. Rob Font pretty pretty sizably dominated this fight. Um, Sergio, I don't know what what's next for him, man, because he's he was doing okay at flyweight, and then he lost to uh, a sun. Was it a sun sow? No, no, he lost to a Formiga, and he looked like he was on the verge Formiga, of a title that's shot. right. But yeah, I mean, now he jumped up to light, to bantamweight and it still didn't look like he had it all, all the game plan. I just feel like he's going to always be the, the second child in that family where people always think of his brother first and Sergio tried to make a name for himself. It's just not going to work out like that. Um, but the other name on the fight card to talk about is your boy Jim Miller. <laughs> I was going to say, is it, I think it's time. We say that we've been saying this a lot lately, but I think it's time Jim Miller, you know, four losses, five losses in his last six. Um, he did have that win in September that sort of kept the career alive. Um, he's getting, he's getting brutalized when he's out there and he's such a tough dude that he's going to put himself in spots to get brutalized. But, uh, it's time, dude. And that run of losses, by the way, have been to guys like Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Dan Hooker. Charles Oliveira gets a first round submission against him, rear naked choke. Um, he's had a good run, man. He's a warrior. Jim, guys like Jim Miller, you need them. They're like, I'm going to just slip him somewhere on this pay per view card and he's going to brawl some other dude. I mean, this is he's a guy... just not able to brawl anymore, though. That's the problem. No, it's time. It's time. It's time. It's time, bro. It's time. Yeah. He had a good run. He had a good run. But uh, 
the, the Fox era is over there, Wise. We will, of course, start the ESPN era on January 19th in Brooklyn. They moved up that uh, Dillashaw moving down to flyweight to take on the champion, Henry Cejudo. Interesting main event. We're, of course, getting Paige Van Zandt, Rachel Ostovich, your guy, Greg Hardy. So that should be interesting to see how it goes. I hear some rumors that Karen Bryant's making the jump from Fox to ESPN. Is this true? Yeah, she, I think she announced um, this week that she got the contract with ESPN to have a similar role that she had with Fox where she's hosting the studio show. And she said that she's hoping to do some baseball too, so that'd be pretty interesting. You a big Duff fan? Duff? Karen Duffy? No. All right. Well, that was good. We had a good run there. Um, all right, Wise. A uh, couple of news and notes around the world of MMA. I wanted to start with uh, Nick Diaz. We thought we were going to see him back for the first time in a couple decades, it seems, against Jorge Masvidal <laughs> at welterweight. Everyone got the same level of excitement they got when Nate was supposed to come back in November at 2.30 in New York. We know Poirier pulled out of that fight. And despite Dana White saying just a couple weeks ago, to my knowledge, this fight is official. It's not official. Nick says they're still messing with him over the terms of the contract. And now Masvidal sounds like he's out, too. Um Hey, UFC, get get your ish together, dude. All right. People love the Diaz's. I know they're hard to work with. They move product. They draw ratings. They're cult heroes. Like, deal with them like you have dealt with other difficult stars like John Jones and Conor McGregor. Deal with these guys. Give them what they deserve. They will bring you ratings. We're just coming off 2017, one of the worst UFC years in modern history for pay-per-view buys and the idea of watered-down product and a lack of stars. You're telling me in that year we couldn't have seen Nick Diaz against Tyron Woodley in a pay-per-view main event? Nate Diaz against Habib in a pay-per-view main event? I know it's all he said, she said wise between Dana White and the brothers. And it's, well, we've offered them 75 fights and they've turned them all down. And the brother's saying, they haven't offered us a damn fight. And I know that it's probably the truth goes a little bit both ways. But there's an old adage in the business with people that are called talent, people that work on air, people that get paid to do big things. They're all difficult to work with because to be a talent, to be a fighter, to be a pro athlete, to be a on-camera guy, you got to have a huge ego. I mean, that's how it is. Can we just get these guys on the damn TV screen? Like, what is going on here? So, to me, this sounds more like UFC put the cart before the horse, and then they tried to go back and be like, oh, yeah, this fight's definitely on, guys. Like, they put out that whole thing where they're saying, oh, hey, we got a fight, 235. They did the whole the the Twitter thing where they announced the fight. But they never actually signed the fight, it sounds like, to me anyway. That's what it – when Nick says, oh, no, I ha- I'm not fighting. What are you talking about? I haven't gotten any con- – we're still working out the details. To me, that sounds like they tried to pressure Nick into accepting whatever contract yeah, they offered that him. that sounds like they lowballed him. Right. So to me, this isn't – I'm not mad at Nick here because Nick can only do what he, he can. Like he's he needs to make his money off of this fight too. So this is all on UFC – 
they are screwing up again with the Diaz brothers. I don't understand how they can continue to do this to them well, <laughs> and not certain, realize that there's something wrong here. There's a conspiratorial, con- conspiratorial argument that says UFC is happy to keep them under contract and not put them out there so that they don't go anywhere else. And, you know, I, I was talking to Luke Thomas on the MMA beat this week on MMA fighting, and he had a great point of, like, can you imagine both of those guys buying themselves out of their UFC deal Going back to Scott Coker, going to DAZN, and becoming like the featured player of DAZN's with like a marketing campaign said that like DAZN, home of the Diaz brothers, and doing like the full on reality show, like having them at the broadcast up in the booth. Like, are you like these, this could be really fun and they could probably be sustain their careers for a while taking fun fights. Are you in any of the belief that Dana's just like, well, we got them under contract. Let's just keep freezing them. No, clearly, it's clear he hates him. I mean, he does, but he also knows how much money they're worth. So it's you like would think, but why would you not do everything to get Nate back in the last two years? Why would you not do that? Nate coming off the Connor. Do you think? Two, do you think that? Go ahead. Sorry. Well, the two Connor fights, right, were like two of the three biggest pay per view draws in history up uh, before this recent Khabib Connor fight. Mm-hmm. Like that's like number one and three on most pay per view buys all time. So Nate became a crossover star in many different fan groups. You're telling me if he cared about them, even on the level of I don't care about you, but I will use you financially like they've done to many people. You're telling me they couldn't have put him in a fight and given him enough money to make it worth it for everybody? This, Like without really knowing, I don't see how you can look at the situation and not surmise that Dana White has an issue with these guys. Hates dealing with them, would rather just have them not fight anywhere else. So my only counter argument would be that Nate, for the second fight, we know that he made, I think, the second or third highest payday ever for a fighter when he made three million to fight Nate, uh, to fight Connor at 202. Like he doesn't, UFC doesn't give deals like that for single fights, right? Like no, they don't they throw, mo- they don't, fight. but they should, you're right, they should, but they don't do that. They give everybody the smallest contracts they can to have the minimal risk and highest growth. Like, what did the so, second uh, Nate Connor fight do pay per view wise? Wasn't it something like it was? One, it was one, the highest. It was. Uh, it was the highest up to that point. So it was like one point six five million. Which even in boxing, that's a giant pay per view. Yes. In boxing pay per view matches that go one point six five million, typically one guy makes fifty million, right, and the other guy makes like eighteen million or twenty million or whatever. I mean, look at all the. The Floyd, not many even Floyd fights have sold that much, if we're really being honest, right? And in those fights, Floyd would make guaranteed 30, would make upwards of 75 by the end. His opponent would make, what, guaranteed 4 to 8, but sometimes if they have a larger name, it would be a 12 to 15, but then they'd make an additional 20 million when the gate, when the gate receipts are counting, you know, and the pay-per-view numbers come in. So yeah, obviously we have a problem here, but he deserved the three or four million he got for that kind of rematch, and he probably would have deserved one to two million to come back in a pay-per-view main event against anyone else. So the estimate was Khabib Connor did two point four million. The estimate for both Diaz fights one point six for the rematch, one point three one seven for the first one. And that was on so, two weeks' notice, by the way. Exactly. And who was he? Who was Connor supposed to fight? RDA. RDA. That's right. If he fought RDA, that would not have done 1.3 million, I don't think, right? If he fought Faber, it would not have done that. So, Nate definitely deserved that money. But now he's probably thinking in his head, 
he deserves that money for every fight. Of course. And who, I, I and know who, it's hard to And who can him. blame him? Every time a microphone was put in front of him, he was like, I want Connor. I want the trilogy. I, I didn't lose that second fight. But I believe there could have been a way to get him back in. You just would have had to give him money. Maybe not $4 million again, but I think you would have had to pay him as a star. And I think in Dana White's eyes, you can't pay the Diaz brothers as a star because he can't control them. I don't think he likes them. I don't think he wants to like them because they're not company men. And the thing about Connor is even though he gets in trouble, he's still ultimately a company guy, meaning he'll do the whiskey toast in the back with the Fertitas because he'll fight anybody at any time and help the company out. But not everybody has to be like that. John Jones is not like that, but because his talent is so strong, they protect and help him to a certain degree because they want him back because he moves product because he's the greatest of all time. If they treated the Diaz's like they are stars, I feel like they would play ball more. And if you paid them like stars, you tell me they wouldn't have fought each two to three times by this point in the last couple of years. They're yes perfect, no. but they're also not they're, But their skill is not that of star. That's the problem. So that's why I'm saying they're perfect B sides. They're not A sides, and everyone knows that. But you can put them up against anyone who uh, a young guy you want to give a rub to. Uh, a star, uh, a champion who doesn't move product, but he's a champion. He's like a Tyron Woodley, right? Put a Tyron Woodley in there against Nick, against Nick. You're gonna have business. I cannot believe, even under the guise of Dana saying, "I hate these guys," but they, I can use them for money. So let's serve one up to Tyron Woodley. Let's serve the other up to insert name. I can't believe we didn't get this far. But the thing is, okay, so let's just say you put him in. You put Nick. Does Nick does Nick won't fight at 170, right? Nick will fight 185. He'll fight 170. He's a welterweight. He fought one okay. time above 170. Okay, so he'll fight at 170, right? And you put him in against Tyron. Nick is going to assume he's making three million on that fight, just because of how much his brother does, and because Nick can do the same amount of talking. Now, how much are you going to pay Tyron for that fight? Because Tyron doesn't make more than three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars for his title That's defenses. A fair point. So you're saying it becomes more difficult because you can't pay Nick like a star. You can't pay the B-side more than the champion. Like, you just can't. So that's why I'm thinking the whole Nate and Dustin thing blew up because Nate definitely was going to make more than Dustin for that fight. And then Nate, Dustin was mad. This is a conspiracy theory, obviously. <laughs> but Dustin probably got mad, had an injury that he needed to get that surgery for anyway, and used that as an excuse to be like, no, I'm not dealing with that. I'm the guy that's in here. I've been fighting my way up these rankings. Nate is coming in to try and make some money. I need to figure this out. I need money. And I can't blame hey, any of these, I can't blame any of these guys for, for either standing up for themselves or backing out of these fights because they they need to take a stand at, at some point. And man, do I hope twenty nineteen is the year that we see these guys actually making the money that they deserve for these fights. I guess my point is you know who Dana treats like stars? People that he thinks can make him money. Brock Lesnar treats him like a star. Let's him get away with anything, right? I'm just saying if you treated the Diaz's differently, I know it's easier said than done. I know they're difficult. All stars are difficult, all right? It shouldn't be where Nick has not fought since 2015 and has fought once in the last five years. I know there's drug suspensions there. I know there's a lot going on. But come on, you know, make it work. Like, at the very least, put him in celebrity star versus star fun matchups. Do it. Because... Nick, by the way, also moves product. Last time he fought against Anderson Silva in 2015, it did, I think it was 700,000 buys. Let me tell you a little stat. Since that fight card, Brandon Wise, 
There's only been three pay-per-views that didn't have Ronda or Connor in the main event that sold more. It's shocking, I know. It's DC Jones 2, it's UFC 200, and the third one's excuse- UFC 100? No, that, that was, that was, that was before, um, the Silva DS, right? There's one other that's escaped me at the moment. But it's basically UFC 200, uh, oh, and it's, it's, uh, it's a different Jones one. It's like- Jones, like, Jones OSP? No, what the heck is it? Um, maybe it's not that one. I, I oh, look. are you talking, what, so you're talking about since when? 2014? Since January 2015, when okay. Nick Diaz fought Anderson Silva, only three pay-per-views that didn't involve Rousey or Ronda in the main event have sold more than that. So, like, the guy moves. The guy sells. He doesn't have to be active to sell. It matters. Bisbing. It was a uh, Bisbing GSP. That's it. GSP's returned the, th- the three title bouts. Uh, it's, it's frustrating, man. All right, yeah. and I'm I'm sick of the excuses. These guys are going to Nick's 35. One of these days they're going to wake up and they're 40. Why should Nate we... needs to fight? I mean, they both need to fight in 2019. It's it's pretty simple, right? They need to fight next month. They need to fight now. <laughs> All right, all right. Um, one of my favorite fighters in the world. I, look, I can't hide it. You can't pick who you love, wise. All right, this is a man I once thought could have been the pound for pound king, but bad things happened. And Luke Rockhold now has to change divisions, and it may end up helping him. The former UFC middleweight champion says he's finally done with the division. We know that he's a large middleweight. He's always had a tough cut. He's going to 205. This should get very interesting. GSP, I don't know what I need to do. You want me to beat some sense into you? You don't belong here. The key here is do you belong at 205, Luke? We're going to find out. His issues, ultimately, we know how talented he is. We know how good-looking he is. His issues are maybe his chin at the elite level. Maybe a lack of focus. That Bisping rematch, he never should have lost that fight. He never should have lost the title. But each time he's gotten close to being back to climbing up the mountaintop, bad things happen. And most recently it was Yoel Romero taking his soul. I mean, is he going to be a guy who never puts it together? I've I've kind of come to terms with that. He's 34 now. Yeah, he to me I will again, we talked about it before we started the pod today. I will believe he's going to 205 when he steps in the ring at 205 pounds because he said this all throughout 2018. All right, I'm done after he lost to Yoel. I'm done at 20 I'm done at 185. I can't do this cut anymore. Blah blah blah. I got to I got to go up in 205. I want to fight Alexander Gustafsson. I want to do all these different things and it's just like okay, so go do it. And then come time, what was it? Uh UFC 230. Oh yeah, by the way, we're doing that Widen rematch again. <laughs> and then oh no, I'm really hurt. I can't fight again. So now I I is he going to fight? Like he's saying he's going to 205, but is he actually going to fight because He's been doing a lot of talking, but he ain't been doing a lot of fighting. It's tough, man. But he's six foot three. He's got this, you know. If he puts on more muscle, he's going to potentially have the size. He's got the skill. I hope his chin can hold up. There's killers at, at two hundred five. We know that. But then again, this division right now, especially on the UFC side, isn't isn't the deepest it's been in years. So it'll be fun to watch. I, I what's the fight you want to see him in at two hundred five? That's the, right. That's my thing. It's like. There's no, there's no name to me that jumps out off the page and be like, oh, that's a great fight. Well, I mean, you could sell if he gets a 
couple wins. You sell him against John Jones. I mean, you can certainly sell that. I mean, you'd just be playing up the DC stuff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the fight. That's the fight to make. All right, him against Gustafson <laughs> would be pretty badass. I mean, come on. All right, we got to roll. Well, we're going long here already. Uh, we got a fun interview coming up, but um, Golden Boy MMA probably going to be done. I don't want to talk about Oscar versus Dana. Please don't make me. But I will tell you that Duran Win, right, the teammate of DC, the middleweight who kind of had a little bit of a mini star making performance on that Golden Boy MMA undercard, if you can call it that, signs with the UFC. You, you into this? Yeah, I mean, he fought, he fought, uh, your boy Tom Lawler, right? Yes, filthy. He fought, and he fought at 205, and he's all of 5'8, I think. He's thick, with... though. He's thick, bro. <laughs> Is he thick with two C's? Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that, to me, that screams more about DC getting him in. Yes. Because they just, I'm pretty sure UFC just wanted to see him in like a quote unquote co-main event or in a star, not a star, but just like in a big spot to be like, to put on a good performance and he did so dc finally got him in the door and it's good like ufc needs new like we just talked about ufc needs new blood at 205 or even 185 you know I'm with so that. getting deron win in the door is going to be big but he's got to be happy for his boy thank you for joining us man yeah i love you he's got to be really happy you know not everything works for dc but but some important things do I could be fat i could not have a six-pack but my dick works <laughs> my dick works Still does wise. Uh, the close on <laughs> every the latest, week, every week. The latest news, uh, one championships, which by the way, in the, in, since we last talked, has signed a deal with Turner, TNT, but there's a little bit of smoke and mirror element to that in that it's going to be streaming live on the Bleacher Report app and you'll see hi- monthly highlight shows on TNT. We're not sure what time, but it's a step forward on this North American invasion. The first major card involving new signees, Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson, will take place March 31st in Japan. Both will be part of tournaments, it, it seems. And uh, both are not on the poster for the fight. Should, does that say anything? I mean, I'm very excited for the fights. I mean, it's the what? It's the quarterfinals for these tournaments? Yeah, right? you, said, you said very excited. Like, you're a little bit excited. You're not, like, very excited. Like, can I'm we be ex- honest I'm, here? I was moved. Does that work for you? No, 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 no. It doesn't. When Anderson Silva walks into a room, you could hear a rat piss on cotton. And so far for one championship, you can hear the same thing. I'm hoping that it changes though, because I like these these sexy changes from Sexyama to to this. All right, let's see what happens here. We well, got we'll him. See. What do you got? Go cut. What do you got for me? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in just because BR Live they do a lot with the Champions League for soccer, so it's going to be a lot similar to that type of broadcast. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what one champion looks like on that kind of broadcast anyway. Um, one more note before we go, just because it happened like an hour ago. Yes. Gegard, Gegard Mousasi is out of his next title defense at uh, that gen, that um, Grand Prix final card in January California. January 26th, yes. Yeah, he's he got hurt. He's out of that fight. So now they're looking for a replacement for that. That is the card headline, of course, by Bader and Fader or Bador and Fador. Your choice on that one. Fador or Bador. It's so weird. It's so weird. All right. Hey, let's go guests of the week. I love this man. Chad Money Mendez, the former UFC featherweight title challenger. We know he'd been off for a couple years, made a big comeback. We're going to talk about a lot of things, including meat. It's what's for dinner. Here we go. Chad Mendez coming at you. All right. Fired up as heck to talk. 
to the money. Here comes the money. Chad Mendez on the CBS Sports Podcast. Chad, we'll see you back December 29th, UFC 232. But a lot to get to talk with you, man. Thanks for joining me. How you been? No, man, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're super close to the fight. It's uh, almost game time. I'm excited. Well, you used an interesting word there, game time. One of the things we're going to be talking to you about is your revolutionary diet with wild game. This is pretty cool, man. This is a cool little hook to get to talk to you. I mean, are you changing the game here, making this your primary source of protein? Um, I don't know if I'm changing the game. I mean, this is this has been this has been around since since man was first in in existence. But I mean, as far as maybe fighters go, possibly <laughs> I don't know. I do know there's some other fighters that do a lot of hunting and and do consume a lot of wild game, but. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's my lifestyle. I've, I've been doing it since I was a little kid. My dad got me involved in, uh, the outdoors, uh, when I was really young and it's just what I grew up doing. So it's pretty natural, but, uh, um, yeah, I absolutely love it. I have a big, couple big freezers out in my garage that I can go out there and, and choose from all kinds of different species of wild game that I've, I've harvested myself and, or my wife has harvested. And it's, it's awesome not having to rely on going to the store, you know, it's, Late, I get back from the gym. I'm like, oh crap! I don't have any meat defrosted. I don't have to run to the store to go buy some. I just go in my garage and grab some. So it's nice. Now, what are, what have you found physically that that are the benefit benefits ultimately of choosing wild game meat? You know, as you prepare your body for for warrior, as opposed to the typical you know store bought stuff. I mean, it's obviously way leaner. Um, there's a lot of health benefits uh, compared to you know how fatty some of the the store bought stuff can be. You know, being raised on corn and grains and stuff that's, you know, also being pumped with all kinds of different hormones and who knows what, you know, they're feeding them and putting in them. But, um, along with just the lifestyle that they live, you know, a lot of these cows and, you know, pigs and they're just living in their own crap and piss and in tiny little pins their entire life, you know. And, um, for me, it's, it's awesome knowing that the animals I'm eating are coming from the wild. You know, they grew, they were born in the wild. They've lived a free wild life their whole time, uh, eating natural vegetation, uh, that is grown in the wild and, uh, never been touched by another human being. So, um, that's probably the main reason why I do it, but, um, I just love it. I mean, like I said, it's, it, I love being outdoors. First of all, I love hunting. I love fishing. Um, but being able to, to have the variety of different meats that I can go in there and just choose from is ultimately just unbelievable. Anyone who follows you on Instagram, uh, at Chad Mendes, correct? Yep, that's it. Mendes with an S, not a Z. Absolutely. They've noticed that... uh, you had yourself quite a meal there on your on your cool grill. I saw an elk heart, bro. Elk heart. What what are we? What is this tasting like here? Tell me about this. Oh man, it's it's. I I really enjoy. It. I mean, I guess it's not for everybody, but um, so to me, the texture of it is pretty similar to like a calamari, um, almost like a filet mignon and a calamari mix, like kind of chewy but tender. Um, if that makes sense at all, um, it's a dense type of meat, so it's not like um, very aerated, not a lot of like loose fibers, like, um, maybe like a ribeye or something. Um, it's, it's a dense meat. It's, it, if you're, co- if it's cooked right, it's tender, but also has like a kind of a chewiness to it. Um, and it's like, it's not like liver by any means. Like, I, I'm not a big liver fan, but the heart is, um, it's more of like a steaky taste, I guess. 
But it's good, man. I, I smoked mine on the Traeger. Um, I smoked it for a few hours to get that smoke ring around it, and then I sliced it, and then turned the grill up, seasoned it a little bit, each slice, and then just threw it right on the grill, and basically finished it off with some grill marks. Um, and it was good, man. I threw it up on top of the salad. It was, it was nice. You got me intrigued by this. Now, uh, I'm messing around just, just with the, you know, the old school traditional back porch grill, but you, what are you doing with it, with the Traeger grill? Like, like the wood fire? Yeah, so it's, um, basically what it is, it's all wood pellet. Um, there's an auger that, that feeds the pellets from the hopper into this little cup right in the middle. It's the burn pot. It's got a little hot stick that heats up. So it's super convenient. Like, I come back from the gym. You know, I don't, I want to barbecue something, but I don't want to have to sit there and like make a fire in the barbecue or light the coals and sit there and wait for an hour for them to burn down. Like I just go out there, I turn my dial to whatever temperature I want it on and hit the on button and, and the auger feeds the pellets at a different speed depending on what temperature you put it on and it'll keep it right at that temperature. So it, it's awesome. I come in, I throw my dirty clothes in the wash, I go out in the back real quick, turn it to whatever temp I want it on, you know, 10 minutes, it's, it's up to temperature and I can, take whatever meat I want, throw it on there. Um, it gives you that flavor of like smoking it. So it's like a convection oven. It's like pushing the smoke around in like a circular fashion in there and then exits out the back. Um, so you get like a smoky flavor, um, super convenient and easy and it cooks everything perfectly. It's, I love it. <laughs> All right, I need to step up my game. This is this is I got I got a neighbor who's got one of the smokers and I smell that every time I go out in my backyard. I'm have to get into one of these wood burning things. Now if I went into your freezer right now, what type of, of wild game are we talking about here? I know you're you're cooking up elk hearts. What what else do you what else do you normally take down and put on the grill? Well, elk is probably what I have most of just because it's the biggest animal that I've that I've killed this year. Um, I have a couple, I have a mule deer, a couple mule deer. I have, uh, some wild turkey, some ducks and geese, um, some wild pig, um, white-tailed deer from Ohio. Um, what else do we got in there? Probably, that might be all of it, right? Oh, fish. I got some, I went to Mexico and caught one of our Fins and Feathers trips this year. Caught a bunch of yellowtail, um, and calico bass and, um, what else do we have in there? Some other type of fish too, maybe some tuna. I think there's some uh, a little bit of bluefin from my buddy that went. But we got a mix of all kinds of stuff, man. I love it. <laughs> I mean, can I, I for somebody who's a novice, can you get past the I guess the bad stereotypes with the gamey taste and and sort of find a and get into it and find a whole new I mean, you got a, a roster there of, of kinds of meat I've never even tasted. Was it was that a hurdle for you to get past the gamey side of it? No, and I think the gaminess, like when you say gamey, it's just it's a different flavor. It's not, and there's different techniques and different things you can do. And, and as far as keeping, um, like an overbearing flavor out of there, like sometimes when people harvest an animal, they don't process it correctly or make sure it's taken care of the way it needs to. Um, and that can add like a funky taste to the meat. Um, you know, so if you, if you take care of it properly, which I always do, um, and then cooking it certain ways, like you never want to overcook wild game. You know, people are, some people are scared. Oh, I, I don't know what's in it. You know, this thing's never had medicine injected into it, so I want to make sure it's not sick. Well, I mean, things are different in the wild. Like a sick animal in the wild gets eaten by another animal or dies. You know, it's yeah. not. It's very uncommon that you find the same diseases that we see in like cattle. You know, that's being fed something it's not supposed to be fed, uh, living in its own crap and piss. You know, brushing up against all kinds of different other cattle that are crapping on each other. <laughs> 
you don't see that kind of stuff, those types of diseases in the wild. So, you know, you can, like a, like a deer steak, you can eat it, you know, medium rare or medium, you know, and I would say any type of wild game, you just don't want to overcook it. That's when it gets, cause it's super, super lean. You know, it, the muscle fibers, there's not a lot of fat that's intertwined into it. So it cooks fast. Um, and when you do overcook it, it gets tough. So that's when it starts getting tough and it can kind of get a little bit of an unpleasant, maybe gaminess taste to it. So, um, keeping it medium, medium rare. Um, I love to marinate them in, in all kinds of different stuff. Traeger actually makes a bunch of different types of seasonings and marinades. I'll sometimes kind of make my own concoction and mix a bunch of different stuff over and I'll marinate some like elk steaks or something overnight. Um, and then when you throw it on the Traeger grill, I mean, usually, you know, there's no type of gamey taste at all. At least I don't taste it anymore, but, um, I have friends and stuff that don't hunt that come over and even they say, I don't taste any gaminess. So. All right, that fascinates me. Correctly, it's good to go. This this topic fascinates me. I'm sure all these MMA fans are like, really, guys, nine minutes on meat. But this fascinates me. Let me give me one one more meat question. What's too far for Chad Mendes in terms of an animal you won't touch? Because I always hear these reports in Japan that they're buying X race horses and selling this horse meat as a delicacy. If I'm going to try horse, man, I got to have a Kentucky Derby winner. I got to go royalty. Is there any animal that's too far for you? Um, I mean. I would I would try horse. I mean, it's a little weird, but I definitely would try it. I've actually heard that's really good. Um, I mean, there's. There, I'll be honest. I'm not a big predator type of eater. Like a lot of people eat, um, you know, bears and mountain lions, and I've even seen people eat coyote. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird to me if the animal eats meat. Eating their meat is just not anything that's really appetizing <laughs> me. I know there's you know people that do it and they say that mountain lion meat is absolutely unbelievable, but. Um, I'm just not a real big fan on that. I like, I like the grazers, you know, deer, elk, axis deer, you know, stuff like that. It tastes a lot better to me. But, um, as far as like trying horse, I would, I would totally try horse. Horse is a grazer. Oh yeah, the, get, get me some of that today. I'm ready for that. All right, we got a, you. You're a wild game hunter outside, also inside the cage, as we saw by your recent comeback fight. Let me start right there talking MMA. Two and a half years off, well publicized. You you owned up the suspension. You came through. How important do you think ultimately those two and a half years were for you physically and mentally? What did you learn? How active were you in the gym? What what was that like? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, I think it was great for me. First of all, before I was even in trouble with the suspension i had told the ufc i'm taking a year off like coming off the aldo fight you know the connor fight and the frankie fight was not a good year for me um i just wanted to let my body my my mind my, my even my head just kind of heal up i don't want to hit I, I just want every you know i have tons of bumps and bruises that have never healed you know my feet ache every day my knees hurt my back hurts like i'm taking a year off um so i was taking time off anyways um, I wanted to just completely regroup, recharge. It's still early in my career, you know. I wasn't, it's not like I was like right at the end of it. Um, and so that was the plan anyways. I think being able to step away, you know, start Fins and Feathers, which is a company that me and a good buddy of mine started into 2015, um, pouring my heart and soul into that and really getting that up and going, um, and kind of stepping away from all the craziness from the fight game, the media, all that for a little bit. You know, I think was very beneficial for me. Um, you know, about a year into it, year and a half into it, I just had that extreme desire to get back in there and compete again. You know, and I think 
especially in this type of sport, when you're going through the motions, like this is a rough sport to be going through the motions in. I mean, you're going to get the crap beat out of you um, day in and day out. If you're not, you know, 100% in, this is a tough, tough road to go. So I think getting that desire back and, and being able to put my heart and soul back into it 100% was huge for me, you know, and I, I jumped into that training camp for that last fight. We had a bunch of different um, brand-new type of techniques, um, for training, you know, we brought science into it a little bit more, which I had never really done um, leading up to it. You know, basically just balls-to-the-wall training all camp. And, you know, we had more of a game plan and a reason and a why for everything that we did. Um, and that last fight was the best I've ever felt for any of my fights. So, wow. um, you know, I felt good taking that time off, getting in there. I had that desire, like I said, and I went in there and, and got the knockout. And I felt unbelievable. So I think it was ultimately... Uh, what I needed 100%. Yeah, first round knockout of Miles Jury, uh, a fight that started very patient, very tactical, you know, pawing, inching forward, but man, when, when you let go of that left hand, it was like the money was still there, the power was still there. That had to feel good for, for the journey you went through to get back. Oh, of course, man. And, you know, going in there against a guy like Miles, who's a lot taller than me, a lot longer than me, you know, that's the type of guy that, you got to be patient with. You know, I can't be going in there rushing in there doing anything stupid. You know, he's got long knees. You get caught with those. You know, he's got a way bigger reach than me. You know, and so our game plan was to be patient and kind of fill out his timing, fill out his speed in the beginning. And then, you know, if I felt comfortable with it, which I ended up feeling that, um, seeing holes, seeing openings when he was striking a little bit. And, man, I just went to my shot and it, it landed. We worked that combo a lot for him. Um, and it played out perfectly, so it was good. Now, it's interesting for a guy like you to come back from being away that long. When you left, the featherweight di- division obviously looked a lot different. Now, after the run Max Holloway's been on, I mean, you know, people can argue he's almost out of opponents to the point where Dana's trying to push him up to, it seems, the lightweight division. Coming back from that, uh, I mean... I feel like you're an instant title contender. We got you coming up December 29th against Alexander Volkanovsky. In your mind, is this like one more stay busy and then I'm right there on the doorstep? Of course, man. I ultimately would have liked to have been fighting someone in the you know top four or five and then title shot next. I'm hoping that this fight, if I go out there and, and beat Volkanovsky, that that's opening their eyes enough to like, look, let's, let's get him back in line for a title shot. So... Um, you know, that's ultimately the, the goal. But right now, the task at hand is Alex. You know, he's a tough guy. I got to focus 100% on what we have, our game plan, what we have planned, um, and get out there and execute. So, um, yeah, ultimately, I'd love to get in there and fight for the title, but let's focus on this now. Yeah, yeah, fair point there. What was your take ultimately on the Holloway fight against Brian Ortega, UFC 231 in Toronto, that for any question, journalists like me who were like, Hey, I don't know if Max is all the way back together mentally and physically from this tough year. It was like, hey, hey, journalist, shut up. <laughs> this guy's a pound for pound elite. Man, was that a tough fight. What was your take overall on that? Man, it's odd. Those guys are both tough, tough dudes. I mean, obviously, Brian Ortega took a lot of damage and was never going to quit. I mean, if, if the rest didn't stop it, he would have went the whole time and just keep, you know, kept walking forward, you know, and, and Holloway is, Man, the guy's tough. He's huge for the weight class. Um, he fights long. He's, he knows how to use his reach, his length. Um, and he's, he's overwhelming to opponents. So, um, you know, 
watching those types, those two types of people get in there against each other, it's fun to watch. And uh, I think everyone could probably agree on that. When you were watching that and you've, the whole time you've been gone, essentially, Max has sort of made this run. He has such great takedown defense. You can do it all, but we know you're a great wrestler. Are you like, are, do you look at it like as a challenge? Like, I hope I get that title shot and I hope I'm the one that, 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 you know, I guess exposes that, that says, look, no one's taking this guy down, but is that a challenge you want in that regard? Of course, man. I mean, I w- it would be an honor to get in there and fight against Max Holloway. I mean, I, I love the guy's attitude. I think he's a great guy. He's a family man. You know, he's very respectful and he's a hard ass worker and, and keeps moving forward. But, you know, I think my style matches up great with Max. Uh, I think he knows that. Um, you know, and I would absolutely love to get in there and test it. All right, you produced, uh, you know, some of the best fights this division has seen in, in, in recent years before your, your time away. I always wonder this. How have you, how were you able to have so much success against Jose Aldo during a period where, look, ultimately he won the two fights against you, but man, did you push him to the limit when he went almost untouched for so long? How did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> Will and determination. <laughs> a lot of hard work. I mean, you know, I fought him the first time and obviously it was a quick fight. Didn't really get to show myself and my skill set against a guy like that. Um, you know, and I feel like I had matured and grown so much from that first fight to that second fight. Um, my game had changed, had changed tremendously. And, um, you know, I, I feel like just me as a fighter, I, I was completely different. And, you know, I wanted to prove that. I knew that with my skill set, I could I could be Aldo. I could push him to his limits. Um, you know, obviously fighting in front of a hometown in Brazil is always going to be tough against the Brazil champ. Um, but, you know, I was willing to get in there and die for it. So it was tough, man. It was, it was a war for sure. You know, you've had some great performances and losses where people give you a lot of credit for what you were able to do, obviously, against Connor in such tough circumstances, short notice, not a full camp. Does that loss ever eat at you because in your heart you know it could have been different? Yeah, man, it sucks. It sucks knowing 100% in my mind that I would beat that guy if I was in shape and had a, had a full camp. Uh, you know, and I know he'll never come back down the featherweight. I'll probably never get that opportunity. Um, but, you know, it, it's probably more frustrating than anything just knowing because it's a what if, you know. It's just, I know that I can beat him after getting there and feeling him, being able to take him down and, and push the pace and staying on him. Um, on top, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that five rounds I'd be able to do that if I was in shape. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it'll probably never happen again. So that's, it's probably just more frustrating in that sense than anything. Do you feel like at 33, refreshed, there's still a career defining, altering performance that, that, that you haven't authored yet that you still haven't? I guess if you want to say it, put it all together for a perfect performance at the highest level on, the, on one night? Shit, I hope so. <laughs> I'm going to keep working hard and keep moving forward and staying positive. And that's, you know, that's the plan. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I'm going to just do what I can control. And that's, like I said, work hard, keep sticking to these game plans, keep working hard. And, and, and hopefully that perfect performance happens you know i want it to happen I, i've done it before in wrestling i felt it i know what it feels like um i've been there and been so close many times in the fight game but uh yeah i'm hoping that that definitely happens still we got some time 
A question for you on, on your expertise here in MMA. Who's the type of guy that can beat Habib Nurmagomedov? We saw him just absolutely dominate Connor in a way we thought could happen, and then he went out there and did it. Who is, who's the guy? Who's the guy? Who's the style that can solve that puzzle? Man, in my opinion, a guy like Tony Ferguson could be tough for Khabib because Tony does not get tired. Khabib does not get tired. Tony's funky. He's long. He's weird. Um, you know, he can, he can strike. He can wrestle. He can grapple off his back. He has six submissions. You know, I think if, if anyone can do it, that type of style would probably be tough for Khabib, but, I mean, Khabib, that guy's an animal. He's a di- on a different level, in my opinion. Um, I still, I still think that's the type of guy that walks away with a win. But I, if anyone can do it, that style of Tony could could be the one. Oh man, I hope we four, maybe the fifth, fourth, or fifth or sixth times a charm for those guys. I hope we see it happen. All right, I got to close by getting you to also weigh in on this debate that seems to pop up now: the greatest of all time featherweight, the goat. You've been in there with all of them. You're still one of the best featherweights in the game today. Who's the goat at featherweight? Where, where, where are we going here? Who are you lending your vote to? I haven't been in there with Holloway, so I don't know exactly what he feels like. Um, I think the Connor Holloway fight. I think Holloway was a baby. I think he was a completely different fighter back then. Um, in my opinion, Holloway now would beat Connor. Um, and of the three, him, are you talking about Aldo, Connor, and, and Holloway, correct? Ultimately, yes. Yeah, I guess that's the only, yeah, I would, I would probably say Holloway, man. Wow. Wow. Hope we get a chance to see you against him for sure, Chad. That would be, I mean, if you look in that division, unless, or, you know, Ortega turns around quick and gets back in the title picture, if Max stays around, you against Holloway would be one hell of a fight. So hope you get there, brother. December 29th, Las Vegas, 232. Alexander Volkanovsky, your next step on your comeback. Uh, good luck, you know, getting some more meat happening on that Traeger grill. I mean, we do, we doing jerky too, or are we just sticking with full on? Uh, Jerky, we do it all, man. We do it all. And where can the people find more? If they want more Chad Mendes, they want more game, where are they going to find you? I do have a YouTube channel. I do a lot of my hunting adventures. I'll basically vlog a lot of my actual hunts. Um, I vlog um, some training, and I do vlog um, like how-tos, like when I cook certain wild game dishes and stuff like that. So um, if anyone wants to check it out, it's just head over to it's just Chad Mendes. Subscribe. Check it out. Um, and then, like I said, the YouTube, um, we have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and it's oh, all of it's just Chad Mendes. Love it, love it. You get Faber out there in the woods shooting guns or what? Oh, yeah, yeah. I We got Faber out there. He's done some Texas hunts with us. Faber's more of a fisherman. He doesn't really hunt himself, but um, he'll come on these trips with us, and he's usually in the bass pond ripping lips, or um, he's gone on some of our Mexico fishing trips, and he's catching, you know, yellowtail and, and tuna and stuff like that. So, yeah. Great stuff, man. Hey, thanks for the time. Best of luck in the fight. Everything you got going on outside the cage. Big things coming for Chad Mendes. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Wise man, sorry that derailed about 10 minutes into the world of smoking meat, but um, I, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm not a hunter. I, I do not want to see how the sausage is made. I do not at any meat, by any means, uh, entertain the idea of enjoying ever going out and killing an animal. Not my cup of tea. But you know what is, be wise? 
eating dead animals, okay? And maybe trying different things. And this guy, Chad Mendez, is cutting up elk heart on his, uh, on his, uh, wood burning grill. He's, uh, out killing all different kinds of wild game. Do you get into wild game? Because he says it's how you cook it that gets that gamey flavor to be gone. Do you think I get game in South Florida? Like, where do you There's think I'm going hunting? Neck parts of Florida, bro. I know South Florida is basically like New York City's vacation area, but like, there's some weird parts of Florida. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to the Everglades on the weekends to go find some gators and cook them up on the grill when I get home. Well, like what, what him and I talked about is, is I would try some of this stuff. Like, I'm dying to get a nice horse burger in Japan one day. <laughs> you need to try some veal first. Nah, no, nah, I don't, I don't get down with that. Um, that grill he's rocking sounds pretty interesting too. I could, I could, you know what? If it was cooked the right way, if I could hang out with Money Mendez and Faber and, uh, you know, maybe not go out hunting with them, but hang back at the house, put down a few cold ones, watch some fights, I could get down with some of this stuff, right? I could, I could eat this meat. I mean, it, it, the smell, I would be, you know. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. Yeah, I, I could, I could really, I could really get into it. You know, you, you lost me there. All right. Um, Chad Mendez as a fighter. UFC 232, of course, he makes his comeback against Alexander Volkanovsky. We're going to preview that card in one second. But, uh, Chad Mendez is, uh, for a division that's lacking title challengers now with Max Holloway having cleaned it out. We know what he's done against Jose Aldo in the past. We know he pushed Conor McGregor to the limit. This is an interesting potential Max Holloway opponent. Do you think at 33, we could still see maybe not the best of, but still a very high level version of this guy? Uh, I mean, we're talking about him getting a title shot just because there's nobody else for Max to fight. Dude, he took Miles Jerry's soul in July. You saw that, right? Okay, and before that, he had lost three of four. To elite, elite guys. Aldo, Max? Edgar. And what is Max? But the two and a half years off, he's uh, recharged his mind. He's opened up a few businesses. He's hunting the crap out of things. <laughs> I mean, okay, but like, I, I just—if you put Chad Mendez in right now against Max, what do you think the opening line is for that fight? Well, yeah, coming off of the Ortega win, it'd be pretty right. Weird. I'm saying, like, Max is going to be an overwhelming favorite to beat the Chad length, Mendez. The length is going to be a problem. The length and Chad and Chad can't stand in box. Chad bangs, bro. He's gonna, he, his, his way of beating Max would be to wrestle him. And I don't, I just don't see it. Yeah, you can't, you can't really take Max down. His chin is deteriorating. No, Mendes got a good chin. Look, he did big things, man, against uh, Jose Aldo. That rematch, I love that from UFC 179. That was a fun fight. Admit that. That was five rounds of fun. That's a good fight. That was also four years ago. <laughs> So right. I think he's gonna have to prove you wrong. I, I can't believe you're doubting I, the uh, doubting the money here. All right. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me how he's gonna beat Volkanovski this weekend. He's gonna beat Volkanovski. He's gonna be. Yeah. 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 He is. He's. He bangs. He bangs, guy. Okay. Okay. He's gonna beat it. All right. Let's get into this card, though. All right. It is Saturday night. I'll be there. Las Vegas. UFC 232 and all the fanfare. I think the return of John Jones is even a bigger story than the fact that he's rematching. Alexander Gustafson in in the rematch of you know arguably the best fight, best title fight, maybe best fight in UFC history. Although I, I don't even think that's true. I don't think it was the best fight in UFC history. It's in the discussion. I don't think it, it got there though. Let's let's just. You said that before though. The the best title fight in UFC history. I mean, I don't even think that's right. Like, all right, what, what think, do you got? What do you got? I mean, Lawler McDonald. 
And that was a great, that was a great fight. That was a or, great. Or what, I'm sorry, was it Thompson? No, it was McDonald, right? No, it, was it was Rory. Lawler McDonald. That was a brawl. Yeah, that was a great fight. Um, I think it's the, the it's the combination of the surprise aspect mixed with the the fact that it was contested on such a high level. We got to see Jones's backbone at, at a you know a guy that physically could match him. I mean. I don't, here's the weird thing about it though, is I don't think it's aged as well. And that, some fights that happens too. I, you know, every time I go back and watch it, I'm always like, oh, I thought I remembered it being better in real time. And that's because in real time, that shock value was so important. Right? Well, and it helped just because we had not seen John Jones against somebody that was his size. Exactly. Like, Alexander Gustafson is all built the exact same way as John Jones at this point. So, him not being able to have the reach advantage when he keeps poking, he kept poking Gustafson in the eye. It was just, it was all there. I mean, and to his credit, Gustafson landed some good shots on him in the first fight. He, he cut up, he had the cut above the eye and it was bleeding into John's eye for most of the, most of the fight. John's he lip gave, got like bloated, bloated up. Remember that? So to be, I mean, it was a good fight. I, don't say to good. Me, it was a great fight. Don't don't try this. Don't try this. All right. If you don't want to, if you want to make the argument that it, it's not the greatest because there's one better, that's fine. But don't try to come back and say it's a good fight. Okay. Romero Whitaker won. Would you say that that was a great title fight? Not all time great. Great for the calendar year. Yeah. But in terms of entertainment value, that gave you what you wanted. Not on the Even, Jones Gus level. Don't do this to yourself. You don't want. What about the? And the rematch this year didn't do it for you either. No, there's look, there's been maybe better all time fights. Maybe you like the Hendo uh, Hua, Amazing War. Um, I always loved. I don't think the uh, the first Silva Mark Hunt fight, just for pure savagery, gets the love it it deserves on this level. But look, well, the, even the the Kane um, Kane Dos Santos the the which which number was it the third one or the first one. I don't. I can't. I'm the getting them all mixed up. Two and was three. The, two and three went into the fifth round. The third one, or one went the distance. One was, was a stoppage. This was the sec. Okay, so the second one was the one that he stopped him in the fifth, right? I get that Kane confused. I get. I get the two confused. They both. I mean, they're look. One was a little more competitive than the other. I don't think they're all time great fights. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe in the heavyweight division, but I think uh, Nate and Connor two was in this discussion. It was not a title fight though, but it's in that discussion. But look, all right. The whole point is that. It was a great fight. We're going to see it again, but I think the bigger story is that Jones is back from these multiple drug situations. What do we believe? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, new bit of evidence this week after his most recent hearing. It was recommended that he enter VADA testing to go along with USADA, and John is not going to do it. For me, wise, that is giant red flags. Dead giveaway. Your thoughts? Why is that a red flag? I know he doesn't have to do it, but... Shouldn't he? Shouldn't he want to? Shouldn't he want to prove to everybody? We know that Vada goes the extra mile in comparison to Usada, especially in boxing, where Usada's got a bad rep and Vada is known for doing every kind of test. Vada will catch you. Vada caught Canelo with the tainted meat. Vada will catch you. And now John's like, "Yeah, it was recommended to me, but no, I don't have to do it." I just yeah. think if you're UFC, shouldn't you make him? Shouldn't somebody step up and be like, "Dude, whether this is a error or not." You've had two major drug issues back to back. You have no leg to stand on. You must do Vada for this comeback fight. The fact that he's just straight up saying no to me, red flag, bro. Get this out of here. That's how I feel about it. Like, 
First of all, USADA has clearly proven that they have a lot of issues with their drug system because they've had, I think, in the last calendar year, like over more than 10 fighters that they tested, they quote unquote tested positive for whatever, or they popped for whatever the substance was, only to find out a year later after they've been put on the shelf that, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. You didn't actually test positive for this test. So, to me, get all of this drug testing out of here. I do not want Vada near John Jones. I do not want next week to be ruined on Thursday morning because, oh, hey, by the way, Vada said that you tested positive for something that may or may not be a, a banned substance. So, no, I want nothing to do with – I don't want John Jones taking any more drug tests because that you're means John Jones in, goes though. back you're on give, the shelf. You're giving in for the sake of entertainment. Duh. <laughs> I never liked the drug testing. Now, are you of the opinion that, that where I think we should be that – Almost everyone's using the ones that get caught made it had an, you know, either they had a tainted supplement or they screwed up the cycling or I don't know. Like where, where are you at on that? That we're naive ultimately? UFC brought in USADA to give them quote unquote credibility and to make it seem like the sport is clean when everybody knows it's not like, like the term fighting clean is just such a antiquated term at this point because in no matter what sport you're in, Everybody's looking for an edge, and the edge that you get in fighting is recovery. So I don't even understand why you would have a problem with guys looking to recover as quickly as they can because it also when you have you... when you have guys that get hurt and can't make their main events because they're not able to recover. Because it gives you superhuman strength that can be dangerous, and it also allows you to walk. It gives you superhuman strength. Uh, performance enhancing drugs, yeah, and it also allows <laughs> you to to walk through punishment that you probably shouldn't. In some cases, you know, I don't know. It's, it, look, it's, it's what perform. Okay, but seriously though, steroids in when I was growing up that I learned about in school, like the ones I used don't, to take at West Boca High, yeah, they don't give you strength. They help your muscles recover from injury oh, and from training. Oh, dude, they give it's, you speed and strength and reflexes. It's all connected. How dare you sit here and try to say steroids don't give you strength? Like, are you serious right now? <laughs> You're telling. Have you ever taken steroids? Uh. Medical steroids, not 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 the performance enhancers. No, no. I mean performance enhancers. Stop with that. <laughs> it's not technically a performance enhancer. It's what? recovery. It's recovery enhancer. Oh, Victor Conti. It aids in that, of course, but it aids in everything. Stop it. Stop it. Anyway, look. If my point is this, John Jones, two bad scandals. Whether you did it or not, you should have to do something like this. You should do it to send a message that I still am the greatest of all time. It was a mistake or it was an error, and I'll show you. You want me to do Vada? I'll do it. But no. Anyway. Yeah, because he wants to go do coke. It's okay. Wow. 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 Anyway, him being back <laughs> is big news. It matters again. Gustafson rematch. Uh, here's the interesting stat that you brought up to me, I believe. John Jones has fought as recent, as more recently than Alexander Gustafson has. That is scary. And I think that's a big reason why Jones is favored this heavily. Now, we know that heading into the first fight, Jones was a monster favorite. It was during a run where he was riding so high, and a lot of people didn't realize how good Gustafson was. And to be honest, Gustafson hadn't put forth a performance like he ended up doing in that first Jones fight where he seemed to put it all together on the same night in 2014 in Toronto. Uh, the line has it's come down to a certain degree. As I look right now, Jones a minus 265 favorite, as high as minus 285 on some boards. It started off where he was a much larger favorite. So the, the money's coming together a little bit more. Um, he should be favored. But let's not act like Jones doesn't have a lot of questions to answer physically. When he fought OSP in 2016, he was not the same guy. 
Not at all. And if you hear DC, he's saying, look, that's the only USADA fight that he was clean for. And if you believe that, it makes a little bit of sense. Jones looked great at UFC 214. He also popped dirty. So I know it was a micro cue, a, a mon, uh, a, you know, it was a, the spit Microcosm. in the ocean, whatever. But he's got things to show us physically that he can still be that same guy. When people have this much time away, a lot of times it does recharge them. It could also leave them flat. So it's going to be interesting. Yes, Gustafson's been off for a while as well. He's still only 31 years old, though. Yeah, he's had tough losses against the elite. Anthony Johnson sent him to hell. DC took a split decision from him. But outside of that, this is going to be a great fight. This has potential to be great-wise. What is the second one going to look like? Where the first one was even keel the whole way, you can make an argument that Gus should have won the first one. What's part two look like in your eyes? So it's funny. When I went back and watched it on Monday, and you see the style that John Jones is bringing to the table for this, where he's doing the front kick to the knee. He's trying to hyperextend the knee. He's extending his hand, open hand. He got yelled at by John McCarthy twice because the extended hand as Gustafson's coming in and he's poking Gustafson in the eye. You forget that John Jones's style is pretty dirty compared to the rest of the, the light heavyweight division. And it's just funny when you think about it because it matches up so well with this persona that he has of being the dirty cheat. So – to me, this fight is going to be kind of similar to the first one in that I feel like John Jones is going to bring a similar style. He's going to try and chop down the tree. He's going to try and make Gustafson uh, respect his distance with his front kicks, with his side kicks. If he's able to land that same head kick that he did against DC against Gustafson, I think it's lights out. So I don't know if he's able to land it just because of the, the, the size um, – discrepancy between DC and Gustafson but if he's able to bring that same kind of style to this fight that he did against DC this could be pretty quick I like Gustafson to be able to stand in though and keep the distance and and keep his power with his hands because he showed against Glover that he still has that strength and he still has that power I mean that combination where he landed five straight uppercuts on Glover's head was just insane so if he's able to do something like that then we might have another story on our hands. But I just think John is – his brain is such a computer when it comes to these types of things that yeah. he's able to see what's coming forward and he's able to develop those counters so quickly that it's tough to pick against him in this kind of situation. Look, clean or dirty, John's the greatest of all time and he's the greatest for many reasons. It's not just the, the freak reach or all of that. Like what I love about that first fight so much – what, you know, John came in compromised. He says he was, you know, doing cocaine in that week. He wasn't on top of his game. He claims that he told Ariel that he thought he was going to lose on the way to the octagon. But you know what that fight showed us? That he's a real champion. Like he's not just a front runner, a flashy guy. He has a championship level, all time great backbone, a great chin, the ability to dig deep. And you nailed it with his mind being a computer. Look, he's the greatest of all time. Dirty or clean wise, he's the best. So I tend to believe unless he comes out flat like he did against OSP, where if he does again, this fight could go rounds. It could be more of a where the first fight was all action. This could end up being some kind of weird chess match for a while. But I don't think so. I think we see an early finish. And here's what I'm hoping for. 
Now, I was I personally asked Gustafson at that press conference in New York about the drug issues with, with John. Do you think he's clear? He's punting completely on that topic. I think he looks at it as this is the fight he's always wanted. Why risk it? Why you know? Why do anything? Let's just take it. Who cares about the past? Let's do it right now. I hope he takes that mindset with him. I feel the best way for him to make a splash in this fight is to attack Jones. Hope that he does come out a little bit stale, a little bit gun-shy. Come out and attack him and make it a fight and make it a brawl. That would be the best for business for us as fans. And I think ultimately, though, it would lead to Gustafson's exit. I can see him getting stopped midway through the second round in a really fun fight. Yeah, Gustafson just needs to go YOLO and just <laughs> just go in, guns blazing. I'm going to throw haymakers from the get-go, and if I get knocked out doing it, so be it. But, yeah, that's to me, that's his best way of winning this fight. Love it. All right, the co-main event, Women's Featherweight Championship, Chris Cyborg defending against Bantamweight Queen Amanda Nunez. Dude, this fight not getting the attention it deserves, probably because Nunez, for all her talent, doesn't move the needle. She headlined one of the lowest modern pay-per-view cards in history against Pennington when it moved 85,000 pay-per-view buys, reportedly. Outside of that UFC 200 last-minute main event slot, every time she's in the marquee, product doesn't move. But you know what I'm here to tell you? This is the greatest fight in women's MMA history. This is the first real super fight. This is the one that truly matters. No, not as sexy as Rousey Tate 2. And as much as Rousey Holm was a giant fight, we didn't think it was going to be a giant fight coming in. On paper, this is freaking incredible. Legacy-wise, I already think Cyborg's the GOAT. If Nunez beats Cyborg, that sneaky resume, man, wins over Tate, Rousey, Prime Shinchenko twice, and Cyborg, there's your new GOAT. So we know coming in what's really at stake here. But Brandon, I can't get over the fact that it's a crude way of saying it. Nunez is kind of a poor man's smaller version of what Cyborg's already great at. If that's true, how does she find a way to win this? It's harsh yeah. to say that, but I just mean like she's a smaller, maybe not as perfectly dynamic as and powerful as Cyborg is. See, but I think the one thing we're forgetting here is that in Nunez going up to 145, I think the power translates a little bit more. I don't think that her with her cut, because she has had trouble with that cut before getting down to 135. And Kayla Harrison told me when we when we had that meeting with her that Nunez walks around about 155, 160 maybe. Damn. Like just as like her normal weight. And she's bigger than Kayla who fights at 155. So to me – that says something about, hey, maybe Amanda's losing some power when she's cutting to 135. And maybe we see something here where as Cyborg is cutting from like 170 to get to 145, which is insane. I just think at some point the era has to end. And at some point you don't have that same speed and you don't have that same agility or power. I don't know if it's here for Cyborg, but I do think that Nunez, for as much as you said a sneaky resume, if she beats Cyborg, like, that's not sneaky. That's insane. Yeah. Like, she's beaten all the champions besides the 115, and obviously that's for a reason. But if she's able to beat Cyborg, it's going to have to be a boxing match, I think. 
I don't think she's going to be able to wrestle with Cyborg because I just don't think that's going to be a game plan for them. I think she's going to try to chop down the tree with those front kicks, with those side kicks to the, to the shin. That's going to be her strategy going in. And then hopefully she's able to land a counter shot or a right hook that just lands flush. Maybe she hits the, uh, if she hits the combo that she hit Rousey with, it's lights Ooh. out. I, th- I think in, in Nunez's favor here is she's, she fights a little bit longer than Cyborg, who's a little bit more about explosive hooks. Nunez seems to be a little bit better of a boxer in terms of using the jab, using her length. That could be a thing if, if she ends up having more speed than Cyborg by being the smaller fighter moving up. Stamina's going to be interesting. Look, Nunez didn't always have really good stamina. In fact, it was the thing that we held against her, that, you know, she faded late against Katzengano and lost. She faded late in the first Shevchenko fight. She didn't fade late in the second Shevchenko fight, even though to this day I'll tell you that Valentina won that. Last couple fights, what Cyborg, or what Nunez has shown you is she figured out how to find championship level stamina. Can Cyborg go five hard rounds against maybe the toughest opponent of her career not named Holly Holm? That's interesting. That's really interesting. That's where I think it comes in for Nunez. If she can linger, if she can fight it on her terms from distance, then you can get into the late rounds and see what happens. But it's hard not to pick Cyborg. It's hard not to pick the bigger, stronger fighter who has the advantages size-wise coming in. Both are elite. This is a great fight. I love the idea that Nunez could leave the cage the greatest of all time you're right it's not sneaky look at that and those names like that's incredible that this ain't alexis davis this ain't betch cohea right this ain't sarah mcmahon this is you know yeah um i still have to pick cyborg and i still have to pick her to stop her i think amanda's gonna be tough she's gonna have to make it a war because cyborg's gonna hurt her and to linger she's gonna have to fight this could be explosive wise and i like cyborg to win it Third round stoppage. I am going with the upset. I'm going to take Amanda Nunes. I think that she's going to be the first person you see actually hurt Cyborg because for all of this time that we've seen, like, oh, Cyborg, she's just, she's that monster out in the distance that nobody really wants to deal with. She's never really gotten hit square in the face in these (laughs) fights. I mean, seriously, right? Like, Gina Carano probably had the best success against her, right? That's what I'm like. She has not had somebody stand toe to toe and just want to trade. And I think Amanda's going to bring some of some of that to this fight. I think she's going to go in with a good strategy because ATT always brings in something new that these fighters haven't seen before. And I think they're going to try to just do the do that Joanna the Joanna trick that she did against Valentina. Circle, 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 and then attack. And if she's able to land strong. I think you're going to see Cyborg a little flustered, a little, wait, this is really what we have to do now? Like, we <laughs> we have to go start pressing and using all of our gas in the second or third round? And I think I think we might see Cyborg gas here. I, I just I just don't think she's going to have the stamina. I, I don't know. I just, if she's, if Amanda's able to put the strategy forward that I think she can, this is going to be a long night for Cyborg, so... I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Nunes to win a decision, and then we're gonna get a rematch of this in July, probably. That's that's probably best case for both of them. There's not yep. a lot of bantamweights left. There's no featherweights at all. <laughs> yes, I'd like to see Nunez against Holly Holm. I still think it's a fight you can make. 
yes, I'd love Katzengano to make a comeback and get a big fight against somebody, and she'll have another chance on Saturday against Megan Anderson in an interesting featherweight fight. But love it, love this fight. I, I think initially, I, I, I think I was too quick initially to be like, all right, good fight, but no one's going to care about it, and Cyborg's going to win. I think you dig closer, you realize this could be very, very interesting. Hey, Carlos Condit is back against Michael Chiesa in a welterweight bout. Uh, Condit at 34, not been on a good run. Lost four in a row, lost five of his last six. You can go even deeper and say seven of his last nine. This could turn out to be pretty fun, though, because I'm not in on the Michael Chiesa as a welterweight contender portion of his career. So this could be a pretty fun fight. Didn't Condit retire? Yes. <laughs> now he just like seems that, like he just wants to fight. Like he's just like, yeah, I just need, I just want to fight. I just want to fight. So that's where it's kind of to me like you might be right. I'm not in on Kiesa totally yet after how, what we saw Pettis do to him. But I, I don't know, man. A guy that was retired who's just like, oh yeah, let's go fight. After like you said, he's lost. He's lost four in a row and seven of nine. Ugh, man, this could get gross. That's what I'm thinking. Like Kiesa is a submission specialist, but. Condon, if Condon keeps him on his feet, it could be fun. I just, I don't see that happening. I see Kiesa able to wrestle with anybody, and he's going to be able to finish him pretty quickly. I want to see what this looks like. That should be good. Same thing with light heavyweights, Lyra Latifi and Corey Anderson. There should be some banging going on there. Same thing with Chad Mendez against Alexander Volkanovsky. I'm down on this card as a whole, 232. It certainly has arguably two of the best main and co-main combinations all year. I mean, this might be the card of the year, but I think when you're filling the undercard with names like, like we just mentioned, Condit, Mendez, you got Andre Arlovsky back against Walt Harris, you got Katzengano, Megan Anderson, that's a good-ass fight too as well. BJ Penn and Ryan Hall on FS1, what? BJ Penn, what are you doing? <laughs> Uriah Hall on Fight Pass? I'm in on this card. What is BJ Penn, Ryan Hall going to look like? Why is BJ the Hall of Famer fighting at 40? I'm so scared to be there in person and watch this. I love BJ. I talked to him at the Hall of Fame. I didn't. After talking to him, I'm like, man, I'm glad he's not fighting anymore. He's fighting! <laughs> BJ Penn is also apparently working on a multi-fight deal, just by the way. Dude, go to Florida, go to Bellator if you have to. No, just just don't fight. Just just don't. Just go be a trainer, be a manager, just Dude, get out of the ring. He hasn't won since 2010. I interviewed him ahead of the Yair fight, and he said that he was going to become UFC's first three-division title holder. <laughs> No. I mean, Ryan yeah, Hall. Yeah, how'd what, that come, go? Ryan Hall's coming off of, I think, a layoff. He's 33. He hasn't fought since December 2016 against Gray Maynard. Uh, yeah. It's going to be an interesting fight. I hope it, I just, you almost don't want BJ to win and look great because he's going to keep fighting, but I don't know. Whatever. You know, this is, it's not my life. It's not my life, okay? Some, somebody that you didn't mention though that is going to be an interesting name to watch is Peter Yan. He's 10 and 1. He, he used to fight for the, uh, that, that Russian organization, ACB, but now this will be his third fight with UFC and he's one of those hot prospects that could be, uh, bantamweight in the future to keep an eye on. Love A lot it. of power. UFC 232 on Saturday. Fired up for this. We'll have reaction, of course, after the damn new year. Hey, happy holidays again to everyone out there. Special thanks to Chad Mendez for joining us. Wise, enjoy your Christmas holiday and new year. Best to you and your family. You got any message for our listeners as we exit? Well, happy holidays to you, BC, and we out. We out.